It's time once again for Truth or Pokemon. First, GlaxoSmithKline. Oh, oh, it's a Pokemon. I'm afraid not. That is, in fact, a multinational pharmaceutical corporation. Next, Star-Lord. Oh, that's definitely a Pokemon, no question. No, I'm sorry. That is the moniker of a fellow in Marvel Comics lore. Next, Zippity-Doo-Dah. Isn't that a flying Pokemon? I see it is. Unfortunately, still no. It is, in fact, a song from a movie Disney would prefer people forget about. What about Tanganyika? That's got to be one. Yes, I've used it all the time. Not quite. It's actually a retired name for a Central African nation. One more. Rock and Rolla. Oh, that's probably a hair metal band no one remembers, right? Actually, that really is a Pokemon. A really good one, too. What's next? Pepsi Roller? Shadow Boxer? Eddie Van Inhalen? <laughs> hey, Paisanos! It's the Backcheck Brothers Super Show! We're the Backcheck Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others. You get all the fame. If your back love's in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Get hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from RPG so we from consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. This is the RPG Backtrack episode 193. Um, uh, in Soviet Russia, Pokemon catch you. I'm your host, Phil Willis. You got the, you got the inflection wrong, Phil. I, you know, it's it's. Where's it's, your Yakov Smirnov knowledge? It's a more serious. We're, we're a little downhearted today, Mike. So, we're just it's a yeah. downhearted Bill. That's Mr. Mike Meeky, my co-host, and we have a trio of ladies tonight. We have Miss uh, Miss uh, Ramos. Hello, Miss uh, Ryan. Hello, and I don't know if I want to do your. I could, I could butcher it. I should. Uh, Miss Magier. <laughs> Hello, A.K. Sarah, A.K. Noodles. Or is it just new single noodle? I don't know. It says noodle seven seventy. So I don't know if that means seven hundred seventy noodles or just one noodle. It says it should be one noodle. That's noodle stuff. Maybe it's noodle soup, like the book company. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody ever really eat one noodle though? You can't eat just no. Even like monocotti, that's two. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're we're here to talk about Pokemon today, but we need to start off uh, this podcast talking about a dear friend of ours who passed away this weekend, uh, Mr. Michael Cunningham, aka Max Storm, uh, editor in chief of our of our site, uh, passed away peacefully on Saturday morning. And for those of you who don't know, 
uh, you know, uh, he he's absolutely one of the you know instrumental people who kept the site running smoothly. Uh, not only mechanically and, and editing a lot of things and coming up with a lot of the ideas, but just in supporting you know everybody, all the staff, and, and encouraging them to move forward. Well, he he called himself the staff red mage just because he could do pretty much anything, but he didn't think he could do any of it all that well. But <laughs> wow. I, uh, that, that was his own estimation, and I'm not going to take it away from him. That's hey, that's, that's a good person to have. That's a yeah. that's a great quote. And uh, if you look back at what he did on the site, you can tell he pretty much touched everything on the site, one or another. Well, not just the, not just the site. Seeing you know limited run games mm-hmm. and Xseed and so many other sites tweet about his passing it was just like, man, this guy had a lot of friends in a lot of places and. He he was clear. He will clearly be missed by more than just RP gamer staff. Yeah, yeah. and speaking of having his his hands and everything, so it may it, you may not know it now. Uh, eight years later, and 190 episodes in, uh, but Mr. Cunningham was instrumental in starting RPG Backtrack. Uh, him and and Mike Minky, Michael Apps uh, formed the original crew. For the first ten shows, and if you go back and look way back I, in our archives, those shows I, are still there. I wasn't there. there at the very beginning. Oh, you weren't there at the very beginning? No, that was Mac. That was Jonathan Self. That was Glenn. Glenn, yep. Yeah, uh-huh, right. And I think, yeah, I think it was just the three of them for the first couple of episodes until Glenn hadn't played any Shining Force, and Mac needed me for that. Ah, maybe that's the one I remember you in. But uh, yeah, they did the first ten shows, uh, and you can go back and listen, you know, to those archives. They're back there. Uh, when I approached him and said that I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to get more into the podcasting side of things, he talked to me about this idea for RPG Backtrack, and it immediately resonated with me because I am a fan of, of old school games of all different types. Uh, and the more we talked about, it, the more I liked it, and that's how we kind of got this started with Mister Minky. Did this have anything to do with Mac giving you a couple of review games that kind of turned you off of reviewing for a little while? No, 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 no. I, I would never say I left reviewing because I, no, no. This was just, a, it, it was for the positive reasons. Yeah, positive. Reviewing. Certainly nothing that, that made you cross or <laughs> came from the abyss, maybe? That, that pushed me to the edge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so... And I understand why Mac did it, because the, the site thrives on content. Somebody's got to re- review as much of this stuff as possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's how, that's how I got started. I, and was it, was it you who reached, what, did he reach out to you, uh, Mike Minky, or... I believe you reached out to me first, because you had the idea... The, the backtrack had been on hiatus for, I don't know, six months or so after the last episode where Mac was the helmer. Mm-hmm. And then we came up with the idea of starting up with Castlevania. Ah, yeah. And he popped in a few shows here and there. For yeah. Us. Yeah, somebody was making a spreadsheet on that. Yeah, the, the last show he was on was Demon Souls. Demon Souls, okay. About two last, years ago. Yeah, like the last one I was on with him was uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Yeah. I think we did it back, like a, a, a Blast Ranger Past of uh, Fire Emblem Awakening, too. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we're back on that with a bit of uh, sadness now. 
and fondness. Yeah, and you know, so and a couple of months ago, three months ago, uh, Michael Apps and I came up with the idea of of doing a more positive uh, Monster Hunter type of a Monster Hunter podcast. Um, and I kind of ran that by him, and he had some really excellent suggestions that I will continue to follow. Uh, and and so that's how we came up with the hunt stories um, from Monster Hunter, uh, which 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 Apps and I do every couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, no, he's always super supportive, always super helpful, and I know I know I personally will, will miss him greatly. Yeah, like uh, he encouraged me to do a my so still my only solo feature of the uh, the, the write up I did of the several games I played in the Image Epoch, like Image developed by Image Epoch. Uh, he encouraged me to put that out. Say like. Well, honest would do more personal things for the site, um, and I, you know, I, you know, I'm grateful for that. He encouraged me that, and I, I wish I had known him better. Uh, for all the years I've been working on this site, I just I, so many other so many others know him bit well, and uh, I, I always knew him in passing, talked to him in ch- in, in chat uh, over and on the podcast and what have you. But he he was a really really great guy, and I wish I'd known him better. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. You know, I only started on the site two years ago, and I didn't get a chance to interact with him much, but when I did interact with him, he was always very positive and very encouraging. And I I love reading his tweets on Twitter and just being all four team handheld. And it seemed like he really liked to find obscure games and just really cheer for him, like especially on that Vita. Like, I don't think, I don't think there was a bigger fan of the Vita than him. Which is, Probably why I'm kind of happy that I finally got the Rainbow Skies review up before he passed, because uh, I got one more Vita review in for him. Mm-hmm. He's probably uh-huh. happy about that. Uh-huh. And I never per- I never physically met Mac, but I talked with him a number of times, mostly for podcasting mm-hmm. stuff, but also in chat and whatnot. And Mac was really good about not dwelling on the negative much yes like even when he like he kind of had a joking rivalry i think it's mostly joking with um michael apps how they seem to have very different views uh mm-hmm. like you know mac was easy streets uh apps is you know plays on the hardest difficulty and then complains about it mm-hmm. uh, mac, mac on, likes on... final fantasy legend 3 the most whereas all yes. the saga fans say that's the worst one what could you possibly be thinking <laughs> and apps hey. loves uh you know crystal chronicles the crystal bears and uh mac had no idea what was <laughs> you know was baffled by that but yeah, but yeah, that was the only time he did it in a joking manner whenever he supposedly didn't agree with somebody. He also loved Final Fantasy uh, because people on repeat don't love it as much as he enacted. Or he was always well, about. Mac always said that he had completed it because he had gone yeah. through the entire story mode, and that takes you what three hundred hours or so. So me and Mac had this discussion. He wrote, he does like thirty like thirty years. Of, oh yeah, Max Final Fantasy. Last year, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, last year. And he wrote, I found that I was proud of the expansions before I'm going to make that happen. And I was the one that pushed him to do it because, and you don't finish the 11 if you haven't finished all the expansions. And he hadn't finished expansions, so I can't, I can't let you complete this game if you haven't done all the, like, okay, okay. He, he went, he's like, so what are you completed? Completing all the, or do I have to do all the armor? So I was like, Yes, get all the armor too. Like, get all game armor, get all expansion, complete the game as much as possible. Gave me updates and stuff. And it was fun because I was like, just, it was fun just to him about it. Like, nope, you can do this, you can do this. And he was all for it. 
Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it was definitely a sad time uh, for us and a lot of our staff. But, you know, one thing one thing is for sure, he would want us to continue and move on and, and, and celebrating uh, these games, which is what we do here on every episode of RPG Backtrack. And that's what we uh, intend to do. I can only imagine tonight. what, say, Sam and Adrian are thinking, because they actually went with him to Run to the Sun several times. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, but hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to press on, and we're gonna do it in fine fashion by talking about a team handheld series of games. Um, hashtag team handheld. Uh, unfortunately, not one of those handheld series he was really much into. He was almost proud of the fact that he never was big at Pokemon Van. Uh, funny thing is, I, I'm pretty sure he said at some point that he did play Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo 64 and enjoyed it, which is a console game. <laughs> that counts. Hey, that's an excellent game that needs a sequel. Yes, yes, I'm not, I, do, I don't disagree, but <laughs> like, he's proud of the fact that's the only one game in the series he even tried. Like, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna push uh, push forward and have a, we have a full podcast for you tonight. We got uh, an RPG backtrack sidetrack. Of course, we got the final lap. Uh, we got your comments and so much more. So we're gonna let you listen to a little Pokemon music, and we'll be right back. Hey, pull one out. We take a game or a series of game and dive into its juicy entrails. Uh, tonight we are talking about Pokemon Generation Five and Six, which is a number of games. And the first one on the list will be Pokemon Black and White, developed by Game Freak, published by the Pokemon Company Nintendo, released in North America on March 6, twenty eleven. It did hit Japan on September 18, 2010. This is a single-player RPG, a monster-collecting experience. And who would like to start us off by talking about the extremely deep plot of Pokemon Black and White? Oh, the, the interesting thing about Pokemon Black and White is that it's the first game in the series that really kind of answered a question that a lot of us have been asking since Gen 1. And that how ethical is it to take these cute little adorable monsters and fight them and use them for profit? And the main bad guys of Pokemon Black and White are essentially Pokemon Peta. 
Tita had a secret um, motive behind, or at least the leader did. But we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. That that's just the thing that stuck out stick out with me the most about the story to this game is that like oh they're trying to liberate pokemon well, that hasn't really happened before no but really sticks out the fact that this game actually has enough of a plot to discuss yeah I mean, every game since like the third generation has had a more involved subplot usually involving the evil team trying to awaken a legendary pokemon and do something bad with it and while mm-hmm. this game follows the same formula it goes much more in depth there it actually has uh, characters with worn away of personality a few of them develop over the course of the story even the gym leaders have gone from being essentially obstacles to being more of the way of characters Uh, yeah apparently uh the developers spent like a year and a half working on this story from what i've uh read now who's your rival in this one i forgot is it technically n it's a he's kind of your rival you kind of have two this time you have charon uh, the black-haired kid with glasses, and uh, Bianca, the blonde-haired girl with the uh, green hat, who's kind of a who's kind of a space case. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I guess it could. Yeah, I guess it kind of start for me. I guess it could start in a story. Yes, yeah, going to story then. So yeah, this time you have two rivals. You are you get you get your starter Pokemon in. I think it's shipped in a package. Three Pokeballs. You choose which ones you want. Bianca always chooses the Pokemon that is weak to your type, and um, Sharon chooses the one that's strong against. Yours, you have your first battle, and then you go out uh, from there. You meet Bianca's parents. You find out her father is actually not happy with her going out on a journey, thinking she's too young, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny because your character, your player character, is probably the oldest, um, like main, like the oldest player character in the series, at least in the main series. Anyway, they they look to actually be teenagers instead of ten or eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what 14 15 instead maybe, of yeah, like 14 15 yeah something like that not like much somebody older. who would still be in elementary school yeah yeah so and weirder still that later games drop the age again but there we go <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but anyway uh so he's not happy with that uh they and what's really cute is that when they leave their this starter town which is called Nuvema town for the first time all three of them are, are you see them walk side by side taking their first steps of the journey together I just mm-hmm. find that really cute and just kind of emblematic of how, hey, we're going to give these characters more personality this time. Keep watching. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was cute. And and your starters this time around, they're Tepig, Snivy, and Oshwat. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, Snivy is a, a lizard-like Pokemon that eventually evolved to a snake, a grass snake. Uh, Tepig, as you can imagine, is a fire pig and evolves into a giant boar uh, called Embor. Uh, Snivy's final visually is Serperior. And Oshawott is a looks like a looks like a weird looking otter, kind of cute, and then evolves into Samurott, which looks awesome and looks like a cross between a sea otter, a seal, and a samurai. So, so which one did you pick initially? I picked Tepig, um, which I, I actually prefer the other two's design, but I, I've had this age long tradition of picking the fire starter, and even Tepig, like, even a Tepig line's kind of me, kind of mediocre design. Like it's not that bad, I guess. It's kind of neat that it's got like the Chinese style design on its body, but yeah, I, I think but, by this point we were a little tired of firefighting type. Yeah, and we're ta- <laughs> yeah firefighting, and at least you know the prior Infernape had has like a really has some really awesome stats and move pool. Uh, it's hard to use Embor decently in battle, and mm-hmm. again, and Samurai Otter it was especially cool looking, and I believe no, I no no I did not do with that in black black two white two. Anyway, um, see, I think my first time through, I did uh, Tepic because I, I tend to prefer the fire types, and then Black Two 
or whatever the sequel was, I did Stivy and I named it Smugweath because that was the popular fan name of Stivy. Yeah. A white, well, white in my case, but you will get to white. The, the, yeah, the, we'll get the, to that. We'll get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so otherwise you go on your journey from there. Very In the next town, you actually first meet Team Plasma for the first time. They look kind of like medieval knights, weirdly. Uh, very strange looking medieval knights. And yeah, you find out they are, they want to liberate all Pokemon because they think that Pokemon would do much better without humans because they're not true partners. And you also meet Getsis, who is obviously evil, but your story won't acknowledge it, won't acknowledge that much, that much until much later. They never do. Plasma. <laughs> and once Team Plasma walks off, you, you meet N for the first time. His full name is Natural Gropius Harmonia, so you can understand why he's usually just called N. <laughs> wow, his parents must have been hippies. <laughs> well, his parents abandoned him, so I don't know. Yeah. According to the, to the backstory, so... Hey, I would abandon my kid, too, if I named it that. <laughs> so, yeah, you mean him, he's kind I, I of worked, odd. I worked he... somebody named Amethyst Forest. Yes, her parents were hippies. Ah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, uh, and it's, it's, like, it's actually neat what the game does with him. Like, he always speaks at a higher speed than whatever, spe- like, the text speed. It, it scrolls much faster than even the, the highest text that does, text speed does. And Sharon will actually go, hey, slow down, buddy. You're talking too fast. Because uh, he's kind of awkward around other people. He yeah, also... In was a very fascinating character throughout this entire game. Uh, yes. He is easily Pokemon's most complex character. And I'd argue one of Nintendo's most complex characters. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that a bit later. So he seems to he seems to say, like, he understands what your Pokemon is saying. Sharon kind of doubts it. You battle him, and then he kind of goes off saying something like, "Oh, I'm going. Oh, I, you know, I still want to find a way to like." Uh, I know he kind of questions about like, do people in Pokemon really belong together? He makes a brief mention about a legendary Pokemon that helped to found the Nova region, and then walks off. And then uh, from then on, I mean, I don't want to go get too into the weeds because it'll take too long. But yeah, yeah. But you go, you go through the region. You keep meeting Team Plasma along the way. They're doing they're doing all sorts of nefarious things. It's, saying to liberate Pokemon, they steal people's Pokemon, claiming to want to free them. They are they, they steal something from a museum. They actually steal t- two things from the museum. Uh, one is much more important than the other, an object called the either the Light Stone in um, White Version or the Black Stone in Black Version. You'll And of course, along the way, the trainer still has to, it's still on their journey. They're still challenging the gyms, still collecting badges. And and again, as I said earlier, the gym leaders all have like careers outside of just being a gym leader, and they all like they talk a bit more. You see them more in the story. Uh, for instance, um, you meet Lenora, who is the uh, she has she has a, like a, a normal type badge. I can't remember the exact name of the badge. Uh, Nacreen City was the name of the city that she's in, and she's the director of the museum there. And she's really big on like scholarship and archaeology, in addition to being a battler. And she's, I believe, the first black character in the series. Um, and you, you also meet Alessa, who is the electric gym leader in Nimbasa City. She is a model. Uh, and uh, what's really neat with her is that she she helps to further develop the character Bianca. Uh, as I said earlier, Bianca's kind of a scatterbrain, kind of space case. Uh, she's not very good at the whole... She's not being good at being a, a trainer. She loses matches a lot. She even almost had... Team Plasma... Stole one of her Pokemon, a uh, Muna, which is a funny-looking psychic type that is like a tapir. Looks like a tapir crossed with a piggy bank. Mm. 
And uh, they, they like the the player gets the Pokemon back for her, but it really demoralizes her. Like thinking that she can't even take care of her own Pokemon. She's not that good at battling. In Nimbasa City, her father tries like fi- somehow finds out about how badly she's doing and says that she needs to come home right now because you know this isn't cut out for you. And then Alessa steps in and explains to him how she should be on this journey so she can find herself. And this just gives her a lot more hope. And then much later on, she. Yeah, even though she's not a good battler, she does find a new dream. She wants to become a Pokemon researcher, and at the end of the game, she becomes a. Uh, she'll be you know, sure she will become an aide to the regional professor who I haven't mentioned. The regional professor is named Juniper. She's a woman, and um, funny thing is, is that she supposedly her specialty is the origin of Pokemon, but the game never touches on the origin of Pokemon, so I don't get it. <laughs> okay, so but yeah, you collect the gym leaders. You find out more about. You also find out more about N. You battle him multiple times eventually you figure out i mean it's pretty obvious but you figure out he's actually the the leader of team plasma weirdly he's called the king i guess maybe it's the whole medieval knights theme but instead of just being the boss he's the king of team plasma and he reveals that their goal is to awaken the legendary pokemon either zekrom in black version or reshiram in white version because according to the backstory uh thousands of years ago uh two twin brother heroes had tamed a single very powerful legendary dragon and this dragon helped them to found the Unova region and they became their their twin kings however they got in a disagreement uh severe disagreement one of them believed in ideals and the other them believed in truths and this uh discord between them caused the single dragon to split into two dragons actually three but i'll go to that later uh, Reshiram, which is a, a white, a white dragon, a fire and dragon, and the black electric dragon, Zekrom. They fought each other. They devastated the, uh, the region. And eventually they, the both dragons wore out their power and went to sleep. And so, and the region is like, like, as long as it's recovered from that, but it's still etched there in the memory. And N is hoping that with the help of one of those dragons, he'll be able to conquer the Pokemon League and then use his clout as the champion and as the hero to make everybody in the region release their Pokemon so that they can, they can live separately. And so people won't abuse Pokemon anymore and won't use them and Pokemon will lose its full potential. And, you know, sounds like the game, like it's strange. The, the game makes it seem like it's a dilemma, but at the same time, it's constantly saying, no, but Pokemon like people, they like to battle. They don't mind being in Pokeballs. But I guess the idea is that only N can really understand them. And uh, along the way, he does constantly hear other Pokemon telling him, because he has the, the ability to understand Pokemon to speak to them, uh, that they do like their human trainers. Uh, let me think here. I guess I could just jump. Uh, eventually, yeah, and as you can imagine, does befriend one of the, dra- does, does awaken one of the dragons, depending on the virgin, the virgin, the virgin. Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, I guess so. Depending on the version, he awakens one of the dragons. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if ideal, which which I I think ideals is Zekrom's and Truth is is uh, Reshiram. And I guess the idea is that Truth and ideals are really not too different, at least in the way people use them. Either N sees the quote unquote truth as people in Pokemon are very different and need to be apart in order to realize their full potential, or his ideal is an ideal world of of Pokemon and humans living separately from each other. Uh, you eventually the player does collect all of the badges. Uh, they go to the elite. They, they go to the uh, Pokemon League. Um, I'm trying to remember if I forgot anything too, because there's lots of like lots of neat other like characterization and stuff. But I guess I'll just go on to the end. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you you fought, you challenge the elite. You you beat the elite four, and then as you're going to the chamber where the cha- oh Alder, I forgot to mention Alder. Oh, I'll get into that later. So you, you do meet Alder, the champion of Unova, in the uh, room. What's really neat with Alder is that uh, you do see I mean, you do see him throughout. He's traveling through Unova region, and you meet him several times on your journey. Uh, even though he's the champion, uh, recently he lost his partner Pokemon, uh, a, 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 a moth-like Pokemon called Volcarona, to disease. And since then, he's been heartbroken. Uh, he, it, it, before he lost his Pokemon, he was always all about becoming stronger and stronger and becoming the best he can be. But he just kind of lost his motivation and started to do some soul searching. And uh, when he finds out about Team Plasma's plan to... You know, they wake in the Pokemon are going to try to challenge him. He tries to, you know, he tries to, you know, get better to cha- so he can defeat N, but he just can't muster the will anymore. So when you go in the chamber, you see that N has beaten Alder, and N, is, uh, N recognizes that he just doesn't have his heart. Alder doesn't have his heart in battling anymore. But a win is a win, and he needs to realize his goal. So he summons his massive castle to rise out of the ground around the Pokemon League. And you just, you know, there's this, it's actually, there's like these neat cutscenes. I mean, neat for a, a DS game, but still pretty neat. Um, as the player tries to enter the castle, he's stopped by uh, seven important, like, no, six of them. Six important members of Team Plasma called the Seven Sages. The Seven Sages gets this. He's not there. Guess why? But I'll get um, But, and as it looks like the Sages are going to just, you know, completely trounce you because it's, you're trying to, because there's six people at once attacking. The gym leaders, most of them anyway, arrive on the scene to battle them and distract them so the player can go into the castle. Uh, as you enter the castle, you find out more about N's backstory. Uh, you find out about, that you find out that he was, and also you find his room, which is like a, a child's room and the toys aren't, aren't that old either. They're relatively new. Uh, you find out from some characters in there, his, the, the, they're apparently either his adoptive sisters or like his servants that they don't really explain all too well. Called Anthea and Concordia, these two women were also raised by Getsis. That uh, N was, yeah, in or- as it said he was an orphan child living in the woods, raised by Pokemon until Getsis, the uh, one of the seven stages of Team Plasma, and the obviously evil-looking guy who the game is trying to hide that he's not evil, that he's evil, but not too well. He raised him, but he purposefully kept N largely away from other people and had him mostly interact with. Pokemon that were abused and abandoned by humans. So because of that, N gained a warped view of how humans and Pokemon usually interact. These Pokemon didn't like humans, and he thought, okay, Pokemon and humans clearly don't get along. And also because of that, his like he his development as a person was 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 you know stunted. It's growth. He doesn't really. He's very socially awkward. Doesn't really understand people, and even says to himself that he considers himself a child of Pokemon rather than a child of humans. And uh, and just uh, one of the uh, one of those two li- those two women, Anthea Concordia, forget which, just said my favorite line in this game. She says that like N has a N's heart is pure and innocent, but there is nothing more innocent and ter- no nothing more beautiful and terrifying than innocent because of N because N's innocence. He was led to believe that humans and Pokemon should be separated for the be- for the good of Pokemon, so that he would have a pure heart to awaken one of the dragons, and they would help him to reach his goal. Uh, you go further to the castle, you fight N and his, you, you face N who has his legendary dragon, and then you have one of the other stones, either the light stone or the dark stone, and it finally awakens into the other opposite dragon. In this really neat scene with a really pre, really neat piece of music, you battle him, and actually no, before that you have to capture it, and the Pokemon is purposely has a much higher catch rate than other legendaries, and even if you do like run out of Pokeballs or 
accidentally defeat it, you can still you still get a chance to keep catching it. Actually, if you run up Pokeballs, I think you might be out of luck. But if you like accidentally knock it out, it'll still be waiting there. You can try again. You don't have to worry about hitting restart. Yeah, I I was yeah. freaking out a little bit in that spot because that's, you know, at the very end of the game, and I'm not sure. I can't remember if they gave you a Master Ball at that point, if you were supposed to use it. I think they did, but yeah. But but yeah, either way, they make it really easy to capture it, and the only way not to be able to catch it at that time is if you, I guess, run out of Pokeballs, or if you have your boxes completely full of Pokemon and you can't add Reshiram or Zekrom to your party, in which case you have to catch it later. It's some kind of weird rule they worked in. But anyway, you use this dragon to fight N's other dragon. You defeat him. He gets this, shows up, and reveals himself to be the true mastermind behind Team Plasma. He raised N purposefully the way he was in order to make him pure apart to to befriend one of the dragons so that that way, when N does make everybody release all their Pokemon, team, he, he and Team Plasma will be the only ones with Pokemon, and they will take over the Unova region. So yes, if they are Peter, Peter's real plan is to take over the world with animals because they're the only ones with animals. <laughs> it doesn't quite work. But so then gets this, is trying to stop the player before he ruins his plans. The player, of course, trounces him and he gets uh, taken away by Alder and Sharon. At the very end, N is staring out uh, from, his, from his castle and is not sure to do some soul searching and flies away on the dragon. Uh, there's a there's a lot of post game things you have to try to capture all the seven sages uh, by battling them and there's a, a whole lot of the universe region that you didn't explore. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, that's the story. It's actually, pretty involved. All right. So so I don't want to run out of time before we talk about what what are some of the key differences. I think I would like to think that our listeners understand basic Pokemon. Go out, catch and battle them against each other, but. What is well, one, of, one of the things that they were really touting when this game was uh, in its pre-announcement phase was that you were not going to see a Pokemon from previous generations until post-game. That all 150 Pokemon in this game, up, up until the end, were going to be completely brand new. Yes, wholly original. And, and it, I, actually, I love that, and I really wish every generation knew that for on just you know let me not rely on older ones i always build a team of only new pokemon see i had and no although you, yeah although you do like after the in a post game a bunch of pokemon from other regions do suddenly swarm and you can capture them yeah see i had mixed feelings about that because while i appreciated that all of them were new i found that a lot of the designs were recycled and i don't know if you felt that way I mean, some of, no, not especially. I think that a lot of them were pretty clever. Sure, some of them weren't all that good, but you know, every generation has some poor designs. I, I don't know. This just seemed like the one where they were to, to me anyway. It felt like they were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for the designs. I mean, everybody complains about the ice cream Pokemon. Yeah, and I and, and, and I can simply complain about both or the Pokeball Pokemon that evolves into a larger upside down Pokeball. Or, you know, the gear Pokemon, or the trash Pokemon. I Again, like Muck, Grimer, Mr. Mime, I, Dunsparce, <laughs> I can keep going. There's lots of, I mean, in the next generation, you've got the the the, the, the super ugly, barbarical, just, but anyway, just, I don't think there's any difference. I don't think there's any difference. I, I love the designs. No, I know, I, know, I know every generation has its stupid designs. It's just because they had to make so many new ones. It seemed like this one was packed with a lot more stupid designs than usual. Mm, but nah, do, nah, 
To be fair, this one also has some of my favorite designs of the series, like um, Lyperd and Poorloon are the two kitties that are, are just my absolute favorites. And I really love uh, Zeepstrika, the zebra. Um, I really like the starters in this version. Yeah, oh, which I, I, yeah, I love I love Zoroark, uh, Zorua, and Zoroark yeah. are the yes. uh, are the are like these um sh- are are foxes. They're based on like the sh- the shape shifting uh, kitsune in Japanese mythology. Uh, you had uh, I I really like the um the uh the the Lillipop line because uh, it's a final evolution. It's basically a massive a, a horse sized terrier. Yes, yes, that you get that, that you get to ride in uh, in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the recent gen- in the current generation. But yeah, it's, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, I I find Sigilith, which is that weird flying type, just utterly fascinating because I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> so mm-hmm. bizarre. Um, but I think it's it's a cool bizarre. Uh, you have the, uh, you have the, uh, the legendaries are also pretty cool. Uh, you have the, you have the, 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 the three musketeer Pokemon, which are basically, they turned them into, uh, into, um, ungulates, four-legged hooved animals for some reason, but they're, they're pretty cool. And out of them is the, uh, the, the, the hidden, po- the, the, um, the mythical Pokemon Keldeo, which is like a little water pony, a little water unicorn. That fights bravely, and he's voiced by Vic Mignogna in the movie, so I think that's really neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Edward Wait, Elric is a uh, is a pony. Po- it's a pony Pokemon. Of, did you say the magical words of Vic Mignogna and mythical pony Pokemon? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Because Vic Mignogna played the pony. Those were my things. <laughs> I love Vic. I met him several times. He's such a nice guy. I, I've, I've met him. He was really cool. Even though he pronounced my maiden name wrong, which annoyed <laughs> me. <laughs> but yeah, you have them. Of course, Reshiram, Zekrom. You also find the third component, the, the third leftover dragon, um, which is, dra- come on, don't escape me, a Q-Rem, which has a very strange design, which you do later find out in Black 2, White 2, why it's such a strange design. Um... You have a Victini, which is another mythical Pokemon. It's this adorable-looking, vaguely rabbit-looking creature. Oh, it's so uh, cute! And um, I, 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 again, I, I've how much I like Samurott. Uh, Joltik and Gelvant. Oh, Joltik and Galvantula. Joltik is the cutest bug Pokemon ever. Just yeah, that, that is a spider. <laughs> that is yeah, a spider that I would not squish. Like it is this fuzzy, adorable yellow thing. <laughs> oh, and you can't forget the Litwick Lampet and Chandelure. Oh yeah, those are. Oh yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, ghosts. They're they're ghost fire types. They're haunted can. They're haunted can. A haunted candle. It becomes a haunted lamp. It becomes a haunted. And, so uh, cool looking. Oh, and uh, come on, I can think. Oh, the uh, the the uh, the sand dial line is really cool. Uh, yes. The, the, the round dark types. They're they're actually really good in battle. I love it. Like their, their moxie ability makes them really strong. Mm-hmm. And it's become. You, you have you have a little a little crocodile. It's also to cro- crocodile, a slightly bigger one, and then you have. Uh, Crocodile, which is like a cross between a crocodile and a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, you had the uh, the Axie line. Axie was adorable, and then uh, its last form, uh, Haxorus, is really cool looking. It's like this uh, this wingless dra- like dino dragon. And then two of my favorite flying types: you got Braviary, the bald eagle, and Ma- Mandibuzz, the uh, dark flying um, vulture, which is just yes. cool looking. Yeah, it's got like it's it's wearing the skull of a Pokemon that is unidentified. Yeah, and they're all, they're all only female for some reason, and the uh, and Braviary are only male. This is Pokemon. I don't know how that works. Um, uh, sexual dimorphism. Yeah, well, well, maybe. Um, I think there's a lot of cool designs this generation. 
Um, and I think they way outweigh the, the maybe not so cool ones. Yeah, look, looking at it again with fresh eyes, I I like a lot of more of these designs than I thought that I didn't. Um, I mean, b- bear in mind, by the time black and white rolled around, I was kind of bored with the whole formula. So I, when I played it the first time through, black and white didn't really click with me that mm. much. And then I played it through a couple of years ago, and I was like, okay, I think that I was just going through a bad time or something with Pokemon when this first came out. And now it... it I kind of can appreciate it now. Yeah. Um, one thing. One thing they also tried to do this with this one was mix up the gym types a little bit. Where at the very beginning, if you pick, depending on what starter you picked, you always had the second gym be weak against or be strong against whatever you picked. But uh, then they, yes. but then they gave you a Pokemon to kind of compensate for it. Right, because yeah, the first gym you have us. They're 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 three brothers that are waiters. Uh, Sil- it should be Silin, but he's called Silin in the anime. Uh, Chili and Cress, I believe. They're they are water. They're uh, grass, fire, and water, respectively. And yeah, they battle whoever whatever your 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 starter is weak against. Mm-hmm. They weirdly didn't show up at the very end with the uh, where the gymmings were fighting the sages, and for the like for a year people theorized that they were secretly these three ninja, like three ninja like characters, uh, the shadow triad, uh, black to quash that, uh, rumor pretty quickly. Black yeah, and, white and it kind of disappointed me that they didn't kind of keep up that gym variation throughout the entire game, because I really appreciate that they tried to at least do something with the yeah. gyms to mix it up a little bit. Well, I mean, they only had one more game with gyms after that. And then, yeah, yeah. seven generation and that's getting ahead of ourselves yeah way ahead of ourselves <laughs> we won't be able to talk about that for another year yeah okay so and maybe more because ultra sun and ultra moon was just but it, but okay getting ahead of, yeah and, way ahead of ourselves <laughs> okay um, so what else the, the music is really i think it's really awesome in this game and in the uh, next couple of games uh this was the first time that that uh, there will yeah, not the first time because there's a uh, composer called Shoto, Shota Kageyama. Uh, he joined Game Freak starting and composed starting in um, the remakes of Gold and Silver, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. And he made a couple of remixes, I think, and some new tracks there. But here he made a lot of fantastic tracks. Uh, my, some of my favorites are the Route 10 theme is really nice. Uh, you got the... Uh, some of the battle themes uh, you have uh, some, a lot like ends castle is his doing ends castle theme ends theme is his doing. I think uh, you have like the, uh, the theme that plays when the dragon, your, your dragon Pokemon awakens the ending theme. That's like really bombastic and awesome sounding is his like, yeah, I think he did. A, he contributed a lot to this and he will for the next couple of games. And I think that like the soundtrack really stands out because of that. Yeah, and t- talking about the graphics in this game real quick, it, it was one of the last ones that still had sprites, and I really liked how they added a dynamicness to the battles to where the, the Pokemon kind of moved and pulsed, and they t- tried to do dynamic camera angles and stuff, so it wasn't yeah. just your, your dude sitting there waiting to be attacked. Yeah, and the Pokemon uh, sprites were, compl- were completely animated. Instead of just, like all the time, instead of, like a brief animation, like in previous games. Yeah, and the other thing I liked was that they uh, tried to add a little bit of 3D to the overworld. Mm-hmm. And also, like, and also, like, a certain like large areas, like when you cross bridges, you could see how the camera angles turn, and that was really neat. Mm-hmm. And can I add that the Unova region is based on the New York metropolitan area, so I'm kind of biased towards this region because it's it's my home state. 
I've, I've never lived in the, in the areas they cover, although some of the areas seem to be based on Long Island, especially the beach areas. But still, I, I, I and I like that it mixes like all of New York State, even though it's just, you know, Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn and parts of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really neat. Like, yay, go New York. And, you know. and, and if I remember correctly, people were really surprised that they put another Pokemon game out on the 3D uh, or out on the regular DS yes. because I think it came out right when the 3DS dropped. Yes, and then it'll surprise them again when Black 2, White 2 was also Yeah, Yeah, because people, people were kind of expecting like a third version, like Pokemon Gray, and then mm. when they dropped the direct sequels, it was like, oh, well, well this that's is different. different. Okay, so should we move on to that then? Yeah, so segue. It's okay. almost like that was planned. <laughs> it's all about the segues here at the RPG Backtrack. And they're not talking about the motorized thingies. Yeah, I don't no. know. I don't know if you want to save real quick. Save? No, we're <laughs> save. Oh my gosh! No, we'll do one more, then we'll save. Uh, okay. Here we go. Pokemon Black Two and White Two, developed once again by Game Freak, published by the Pokemon Company Nintendo. This was released on the Nintendo DS in North America on October 7, 2012, in Japan, June 23, 2012. This is, to no one's surprise, a single-player monster-collecting RPG experience. You know, Cassandra, I feel like asking before I forget again. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play Drilldozer? No, I haven't. And yes, I know it's de- it's also developed by uh, Game Freak, but I haven't. Uh, and it's pretty it. much the only thing non-Pokemon that Game Freak has made in the last 20 years, right? No, they made, uh, was, it was something, the Badass Elephant. Yeah, what was Tim- it Timbo the Badass Elephant. Harm- and, and, and Harmonite, too, which is, I yeah. think, a good game. So, no, they have done more. Okay. I, this is what I get for relying on older issues of EGM that I haven't read in years, but I guess that's just, just going to happen. Anyway, Black 2, White 2, let's go. Okay, so, yeah, as we said before, this is the first time in a series that the games have had direct souls, and it shows in the story. Yes, we're back in Unova, but it's, it is a new story. You are a, a different trainer than the one in the first, in the, in the first black and white. Um, and you start from a different city, a city that actually wasn't in the original, called Aspira City, I think. And I think there's a gym right there. Uh, it's different, yeah. No, sorry. No, you, uh, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. You can transfer your data from the first game to the second game, which adds a lot of cool features to it. Yes, like the your, the character's name will like show up there, be mentioned by people, and lots of like extra cutscenes will, or, like well, cutscenes I say, but like conversations will occur, mentioning events in that game and mentioning that character. Which, if you're the type of person that uses the same thing for every game, that's probably going to be kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and ends Pokemon show up where he released them from the first game, and it, it freaked me out the first time because it made like a it had like a weird flash or something. It, it's yeah. been a while, so I can't remember remember exactly what it did. But it was like, oh, did I just run across a shiny? Oh no, it's just ends Pokemon from the first game. Okay, but it, it's still cool that it had a connection like that. Yeah, like you could tell it was ends because when you caught them, it would say that the trainer's name was N instead of your trainer name as if they were traded yeah because uh, n's philosophy like he didn't want to keep pokemon and pokeball thought that was cruel um and the games are still not very clear as to what pokemon think of being kept in pokeballs so you know think what you will i don't think we'll ever get that we'll answer yeah i don't know if we'll ever find out um, i mean the anime is a little more forthcoming but this is not the anime um regardless so he always instead of like keeping pokemon he would like he would befriend them in the wild and they would come to his aid 
and some he kept for a long time. Like he had a Zoroark that was one that like 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 grew up with him since his childhood in the forest. And now it was Zoroark then. It's a Zoroark now, and it still pops up here too. Anyway, I guess to uh, start on the story of Black Two, White Two. Uh, so again, you are a starter trainer. Uh, you get a starter Pokemon, and uh, you and your first the first gym leader you find here is actually Charon. Uh, from the first, it was a rival in the first game. Uh, you also have a rival here. I don't think he has a default name. Uh, he's this wild-haired kid, and he is super obsessed with getting back his sister's purloin. Kind of a one. I, I find him kind of one note that you later find out that he feels bad that her Pokemon was stolen. Uh, but anyway, but even though he's more concentrated on that, he still kind of he still challenges you a bunch of times and still wants to be a better trainer. Uh, so, uh, there's, I guess it's not, it's a little less to this story, but you do find out that Team Plasma has broken up and partially reformed. Uh, a bunch of them follow N's teachings and want to be better, like, want to be better to Pokemon, want to take care of Pokemon. The other half still follows Getsus. They wear altered costumes and look more like pirates than knights. And Getsus is, of course, trying to take over the universe region again, this time using more drastic measures. There's a new character, a scientist called Colress, who's your pretty standard, like, cold calculating, I'm doing this for science, I don't care really much about anything else, dumb guy. Uh, later, you, you know, you take on the gym leaders, there are other new gym leaders, Roxy, who's a, a, a who is a, um, poison-type gym leader, she's a, uh, she's a rock star, a, at least a, a music, a musical artist, anyway. And when you enter her gym, it's pretty cool, because there's, like, this little song in the digitized in the background that spells out the word Pokemon. Oh, and I actually didn't mention this. Uh, back in the first game, uh, there's this small area called Village Bridge, which is what it sounds like. It's a long bridge with a bunch of houses on it and some stores. Mm-hmm. And there's a song in the background that's also a digitized voice. Apparently, it's in Japanese, and it translates to something like, I am an old geezer staring out at the sea, watching the seagulls fly over me. <laughs> <laughs> like, apparently, it's what it, which, is, which is baffling, because seagulls, not windmill? Okay. It's a specter of, are there animals in the Pokemon world? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You get back on track. So yeah, she's one of the gym leaders. You fight a, a water type gym leader called Marlin, uh, who looks like a, a di- who looks like a diver. Um, uh, the uh, the three waiters are the three like the, the are no longer gym leaders. Uh, they went back to just being plain waiters. Uh, the reason for that is because while they like they were going to follow the other gym leaders to help the, uh, the player beat Team Plasma, but they were stopped by the Shadow Triad. They tried to fight them, but they lost. And so they thought, we should, you know, go back to the basics, start over. We can't be gym leaders anymore. So they're still trying to recuperate from that loss. And no, they're not the Shadow Triad. Uh, and okay, so going off on that sidetrack, uh, I don't think, I know Lenora is not the uh, the Nacreen City gym leader anymore. She's just a full-time director now. Though memory escapes me as to who, I, I'm guessing it's either Charon or Roxy. And okay, so you collect the gyms, and before you, I think sometime before or after you get the final gym badge, uh, Getsis sends his pull of planet to action. He managed to find the legendary dragon uh, Qrem, which you find out is the remnant dragon, the original dragon that uh, the uh, the twin brothers in the in the backstory in the legend had found, and you had, had chained and used found new Nova with. Uh, we act, and he has found a way to merge the dragon the Qrem with one of the other dragons, either Reshiram or Zekrom. Because as he's trying to, like, freeze the... As he's try, either trying to freeze a certain town or freeze the region, freeze as in, you know, freeze as in ice, um, N comes in with his dragon and tries to fight Qrem. But he uses a, a, a device called the DNA Splicers to make Qrem merge with Reshiram or Zekrom, and it becomes either white Qrem or black Qrem. 
And presumably, if you could somehow get the three of them together, you're going to get the original dragon. But we never see this dragon. And I assume whenever we get fifth generation remakes, we'll finally see this thing. <laughs> but for now, it's we don't get perfect QRAM, or as I like to call it, Taiji QRAM, because they're all based on yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Reshiram, if I remember, is yin. Zekrom is yang. And QRAM represents Wuji, which is the absence of yin and yang. It's the it's like the it's a null Pokemon. It's nothingness because it's it's lost its truth and ideals. It's lost its other two sides. But the, the trainer still manages to beat this massively powerful legendary Pokemon. You actually can't capture it. You have to capture it in the post game, I think. And then uh, the uh, defeat gets this, and I think he finally gets arrested at this point. I think, or maybe he became. Or maybe, I think, something about his mind. I think he might have, like, gone crazy or something, but he was no longer a threat. And he won't try to rise up again. And so then you beat the Elite Four as normally. Um, so, yeah, you see, and so, yeah, and the story's a little less grandiose, probably because some certain things are not a surprise anymore. You still beat the game by beating the champion. But mm-hmm. you do see, but you do get, like, updates on characters. You see that N is doing much better for himself. He's actually trying to find the uh, player from the first game because the player is trying to find him, which makes me think it's kind of funny. They must have missed each other somewhere. And he comes in to beat his stepfather, uh, his adoptive father, I should say. And uh, so Getsis has become more unhinged because he was actually blaming the player, like the player of Black 2, White 2. Or like saying, see, if you had just let me take over the Unova region like I, I was going to peacefully, nope, nobody be, would be hurt. You'd all be fine. But nope, now I had to take drastic measures and freeze you all. If it weren't for these meddling kids. Basically. <laughs> and uh, you see Alder has, uh, like he's still, like he's much more at peace than he used to be, but he did hand over his title of champion to a to um, Iris, who was the... He, she, what, she could be the, she's the gym leader of, uh, the last city in the, in the, um, at least in the first game, Opelucid City. But I think only white version, if memory serves me correct. If it's black version, uh, instead the gym leader is, uh, Drat, the guy with the mustache whose name is escaping me. Drayden, that's his name. Uh, which one did you play, um, Kelly? To, to be, I think I did white too. Okay, cause I, because I, did, okay, white. I, I, no, I tried to do, I played black. You don't know, maybe it's not, it's not right. Because you, what you should do is that you play what version and then you play the same because if you get if you get white version, you capture Zekrom. If you play white too, you get Reshiram. If you get white and the, white and then black too, you're just going to end up getting Reshiram again. See, I honestly can't remember because it's been so long. I think I tried to swap just to see if they like, do the zone difference. So it's, yeah. I figured it was kind of like a third version, but I'd really have to dig out my cartridges and look. I, I know that I have both, both versions. I just don't remember which one I actually played okay. through. So yeah, because uh, yeah, because like, like black version is fairly different from white version, and again, black it reflects in black too, white too. You have the different gym leaders. Uh, Opelucid City is very different uh, in a white version or white two version. It's more peaceful, uh, more open spaces. While in black two, black slash black two, it's more like the music is more vibrant. It's more modern looking. Uh, there's also a unique area. There's the white forest in white version and black city in black version, which is what they sound like, either a forest or a, um, or a city. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember if there's any other, t- but but yeah, I'm kind of just rambling on because I forgot that there was like some fairly significant version differences this time other than just different Pokemon. Yeah. See, I I spent so much time trying to catch Pokemon and, and black, and 
well, the sequel, mm-hmm. that I don't really remember a whole lot of the areas because I just remember, I think that was one of the first ones where you could catch extremely rare Pokemon by um, running around and waiting for the grass to shake. Yes, yes. So I, I, like, every time I would get to a new area, I would just keep, just run around and keep catching until that grass would shake. And some of those have, like, a 1% chance, like, I, that, that one that's based off of, off of the, a chinchilla. I think I was in there for like an entire day trying to catch that stupid thing. Yeah, Minchino is the, <laughs> yes, and the chin, it's of all form Chinchino, which are pretty cute. Uh, and it, that was also one of the ways that you could power level easily because Aldunos tended to be kept or fightable that way. Yeah. And Aldunos drop a crap ton of EXP. Yes. And this game actually also makes like the experience points of like the system a bit different. Uh if you fought if your Pokemon fought like if the, the level difference was very massive, you got a ton of EXP from that. Yeah. So it was really easy to power level your Pokemon there in that game. Um and uh but yeah so but some of the other rare Pokemon that weren't catchable before like Eevee were catchable in the wild uh, Riolu were catchable in the wild Zorua was catchable in the wild when or yeah it was Zorua when before it was actually an almost an event Pokemon in black and white which was mm-hmm. weird but at least in this one they're catchable and they're catchable in other. Oh, you're bringing back memories and all because I remember you had to get the shiny dog trio from GameStop. Yes, and you yes. had to get all three of them to trade it, and I remember being very angry about that. Yeah, that was pretty annoyingly elaborate, and in a year, it wouldn't matter anyway, because they'd be cashable. But I yeah. did that because I thought Zoro and Zoroark were really cool. I see, um, I, I did that, but I didn't, I didn't want to have to trade in my shiny dog trio, because I really like the dog trio. Those are my favorite legendary. I mean, you don't have to trade them away. You just have to transfer them from uh, oh. from Diamond. I, I think I, I think it was uh might have been um what was the previous games before then? Uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver because it was like a big yeah, it was like a big reference to one of the movies, one of the lamer movies. Okay. <laughs> See, I must have misread mis must have misread that then. I thought that you had to trade them both. No, you just have to transfer them. Oh, okay. and oh, I should mention that the way to transfer Pokemon from the previous versions to this one was really annoying. Um, oh, with that dumb mini game where you had oh, yeah, to, that, where you had to like launch, like use a, like a like a weird slingshot or like crossbow thing to launch Pokeballs as they jumped out of the bushes. Like, yeah, it took forever to get everything over. Like, why? 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 I did it because I'm obsessive, and thankfully we have the, the Pokemon Bank now to make this easier. But yeesh, that was annoying. Man, try when the Pokemon Bank came out, trying to transfer some of my more rare legendaries all the way up, like from GameCube, from my GameCube to my cart to my DS, was just a nightmare. <laughs> I was coming downstairs with all these cables and stuff running around all over the house, and like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm transferring, transferring Pokemon. Yeah, like, it took me a long time to get everything out of Diamond, Pearl, that I had already long ago transferred my GBA Pokemon to, getting those into the, into, and getting all those into uh, black and white, eventually had, like, this weird mixture of some Pokemon were in black, white, some were in black, two, white, two, um, depending on whatever was, whatever was going on at the moment. I think the only one I made a point to transfer was the Mew that I got from Toys R Us, just because ah. at the time that was the only way you could get a Mew, and now yeah. you can now you can yeah. just get one from the Pokeball from uh, that new one that's coming out in November. Yeah, yeah, it's in the yeah, let's go the game, the let's go games coming up. 
but yeah, it, definitely the legendaries and the uh, and the, the mythical Pokemon are the, you know the first ones you transfer. But I had like you know memories of Pokemon I used to get me through the journey, and just ones that I gave nicknames based on characters and other you know other pieces of media because I'm weird like that and they give weird names to Pokemon that a lot of people don't think makes sense, but I do because. But yeah, um, I feel like there's something else I wanted to bring up about. Uh, Something along the I, I mentioned the uh, oh that's right the dream world did you play much of that Kelly? No, because by the time I got around to the, the servers were shut down. Oh, took that long. Okay, so yeah, let, let's explain what this is. So this is black two and white two, but this is now defunct. Huh? Yeah, the dream, yeah, the dream world was this um was this on was this browser based game that was connected to like the Pokemon main website through. Pokemon main website. You after finishing this uh, this small quest in the uh, main games, you'd be able to put one of your Pokemon to sleep, and they would then be tra- sent online. You have to have your Wi-Fi on, sent online, and you could play with it in the Dream World on the computer. Uh, in this Dream World, you can find Pokemon like rare Pokemon, or even regular. Usually, you want the rare ones for with uh, their hidden ability which is what it sounds like, an ability that you can't normally get. Uh, you can also grow berries and get certain rare items and play silly mini and- I heard it was compared to Neopets. So I guess I never played Neopets, but oh, so I have um, no idea. But, but yeah, so yeah, I, I spent a lot of, I, I spent more time than I cared to admit on doing that because I, because berries are useful and, you know, hidden and hidden ability Pokemon are cool. See, back then I couldn't do a whole lot of the online stuff with the DS because our router had the different security that wasn't compatible oh, with yeah. uh, right. the original DS. So if, if I wanted to do anything uh, online related, I had to go to the laundry mat. I see. Okay, so that was a hindrance. So, but yeah, and I spent a lot of time in that. And that's just like a weird little little side thing that they added on. And I don't know how many people played with that, but I played uh, an awful lot with it. Oh, and also Black Two White Two had another strange mini game, but this time on the regular DS, uh, Dream Quest, I think, like the strange AR game where you would try to find Pokemon around your house and get like the special forms of three of the legend like the three legendary um uh they're called the forces of nature these these three strange pokemon that vaguely look like genies uh tornadus thunderous and landorus uh, i think they're based on like japanese kami actually in this oh. game they had like different forms that looked animal like uh i believe landorus looked like a tiger uh tornadus looks like some kind of bird and thunderous is like some kind of serpentine dragon oh that's right Tornadus is the first and only pure flying type Pokemon. Yay. <laughs> I forgot about that. Now, yes. did, now I forgot, wasn't the Dream Radar a completely separate program? Dream Radar, yeah, it's a completely separate program you have to download onto your DSi or 3DS. Okay, because I, rem- I remember it being somewhat expensive. What? I, I, I might be misremembering, but I, mm-hmm. I when I found out, about it, I was like, yes, and then I found out the price tag. It's like I'm not spending that much, but mm-hmm. I'm also notoriously cheap. Right, and me, and, and I'm also I'm a I'm a collector. I just, just I have to get them, so I did. I, I deleted a long time ago, but I remember playing like you know a bit with that until I got those three special forms legendaries. Uh, pr- proto Pokemon Go in a way. Yes, Proto Pokemon Go. That's right. Um, yeah, I remember enjoying Black Two a lot more than Black One when I eventually did get get around to playing it. Um, I don't remember as much of the story as I would like, just because I played it so long ago and was mm-hmm. doing more cat- catching than necessarily trying to blow through the game. But I, d- I do remember really enjoying it. And um, 
the nice thing about black about the black and white series is that those were the ones that were easy to transfer to the next generation because of the bank. Yes, and obviously, gener- and obviously Gen six to Gen seven, but something else yeah. entirely. Yeah. But but yeah, these were so yeah. That was the fifth generation, and yeah, like as, by some of these stories, you can imagine it wasn't as in depth, and the characters weren't quite as in depth. But it was really nice to see older characters and what they're doing two years later. And uh, oh, there's, a, there's, there's, there's that, did you ever play much with that silly Poke like Star Studio thing where you would like do movies with your Pokemon? I got really addicted to it for like the first five minutes, and then when the movie started becoming really complex, where it wasn't intuitive to figure out what you're supposed to do, I kind of stopped. I think I only did one, and then just kind of left it alone. I never did much with that. I don't know why I got weird, weirdly sucked into that, but I did. Yeah, a silly distraction to uh, like to involve, like you sort of like make movies with your Pokemon. You had to like do special things to be a star, and it, your Pokemon would do like. They would have like a special extra flourish in battle if it became a star mm-hmm. or something. Uh, it was a lot better than the musical in regular Black White. What was the point of that? Oh, I forgot about the musical. That was dumb. Like it wasn't even like like the like the um like the uh, the contest in the previous games. It was just decorating your Pokemon and watching them dance around. I don't get it. Yeah, I, yeah, I liked the contest because at least you could like do cool things to yeah. you know, get your points up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but this just seemed like and and it was uh, you know they have they don't have any distractions like that anymore. They just have I don't even think they just, I don't think they have much of it away in later generations after that. Uh, that technically they do have a distraction but we'll get into that when we talk about gen 6 right right and uh, yeah i mean i don't see anything else to say about no um, i mean for, for me at the very least the black the gen 5 was kind of a low point in the series at that point i felt like i was finally growing out of pokemon that i just wasn't as into it as i was before mm-hmm. and i i Kind of said I was swearing off Pokemon for a little while, and then Gen 6 happened, and people were talking about it, and they were like, you, you've got to play Gen 6. It's really good. I'm like, I don't know. I, was so, I, I wasn't very into Black or White, and I kind of skipped over the sequels, and they're like, no, you have to play it. <laughs> Man, I'm almost the opposite. Like black, black and white were the high point. Like this is what Pokemon can really do. The, the story was leaps and bounds ahead of previous generations. All the Pokemon were new, and a lot of the designs were cool, and the characters had worn away a personality, and the music was fantastic. And while Black Two and White Two weren't quite as good as the original, I still love the fifth generation. And then you get the sixth generation, and I feel like okay, you took a step backwards. Why? Except for the music. The music is still awesome. In terms of story, they took a, and characters, they took a step backwards. I felt. See, see we're get, we're gonna have conflicting opinions here when we get into Gen Six. Yeah. Well, speaking of segues, that sounds like a good one is in now. So uh, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a little break because we want to save this before my computer crashes and we have to do that all over again. And we'll be right back after this musical selection. Okay. You and me and Pokemon done. <laughs>
Off returned, and we're ready to jump into the sixth generation with Pokemon X and Y, once again developed by Game Freak, published by the Pokemon Company Nintendo. Uh, this was released on the Nintendo uh, 3DS, a worldwide release of October 12, 2013, a single and multiplayer RPG monster collecting experience. And just a little factoid to get you all started. Monster Hunter World, when I logged in a couple of days ago, gave me free presents. They're celebrating the fact that they've sold 10 million copies. It's been a big, huge hit. But Pokemon X and Y, as of June 30th, 2018, sold a combined total of 16.3 million copies. That's that is ins- a lot of Pokemon. That's a lot of Pokemon. If you ever wonder why the series... Uh, why they keep making games for this for six generations. It's because they're printing money. <laughs> yeah. So it's because they're printing money. Yeah, as long as Pokemon lives, I don't think Nintendo will ever go out of business. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, basically, yeah. But yeah, this this was the first worldwide release of the series. You know, usually the, Japan gets it, and then we get it like, like what three months later? No, it depends. Like I think the closest, like the soonest before the World War release was Black Two, White Two, and that was still I think like six months. And but sometimes they took like a whole year to come out. But, but yes, the, this marked a lot of milestones for the for the series. This was the first hand. I need to put that caveat there: a handheld one that was in 3D, because technically the GameCube ones were in 3D, 3D mm-hmm. first and had a story. So this was the first handheld one in 3D. Um, it was the first worldwide release. Uh, what, what other first? Um, it was the first one to add a new type since yes. Golden since Silver. Two, yes. Man, let me just go on that a little bit, because I, I, I remember I was so skeptical when they first introduced the Pokemon Sylveon, and they hit its type. Sylveon is a new, well, it was a time of new evolution for Eevee. And I was just like, it can't be a new type. I, I remember reading some time ago that they couldn't add new types in one of the earlier generations because it would mess up the formula for the, the move Hidden Power. And I thought, I, I guess I had in my head that it would still be a problem. Like, it can't be a new type. I don't know why they're hiding it, but it can't be a new type. And it was a new type. Yes, the DVD fairy type, which was meant to finally give dragon type a run for its money, yes. and give uh, poison and steel something to do. Yeah, yeah which I like, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like I, I still don't quite understand how dragon moves are completely like completely ineffective against them. Like I don't quite. How does that work exactly? I don't recall too many fairy stories of fairies being immune to dragons or, or something. Uh, I I don't know. I I, I want to say that you know maybe dragons or you know fairies traditionally help knights fight dragons if you yeah, think maybe. about it I guess I, I, I try to apply a logic to the typing but that that, that kind of that's kind of stretching it a bit I do know that when I figured out that steel being strong against fairy made sense because yeah, traditionally they were weak fairies. to iron yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. you guys are putting way too much thought into this the only thing you need to remember is magic magic is the answer to all your questions why? I know magic. the real answer is to be, bring balance because dragon was uh, before the fairy type introduction. Yeah. yeah, dragon is always OP, and the ice types that you could get were always like somewhat questionable. Yeah, and you can even give like an ice type to a not like an ice move to an ice type, and it still may not do so good because it couldn't get that uh, that same type attack bonus. Yes, but yeah, Gen Six added a lot of stuff. Um, even though I love Gen 6, I, I, I feel like the story kind of took a uh, backseat because they added so much stuff. Yeah. Um, 
it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty linear storyline. You, you start out in a new town, and you befriend four other trainers, um, Shauna, Tierno, Trevor, and your rival, who is either Calum, if you're female, or Serena, if you're male. And having the kind of group of friends is really neat, because they all have different personalities. Like, I remember... Tierno was obsessed with dancing, and Trevor's the geeky kid, and Shauna's kind of the space cadet, and these kids kind of go on your journey with you, although every time you go to a new town, they tend to, like, split off and get in trouble and have wacky antics and stuff like that. But you you meet these new friends when you move to a new town, and you decide to go on your adventure and meet up with uh, Professor Sycamore. Who has a really awesome music theme, I add. Very awesome. And I remember, like, people were really fangirling about that. <laughs> oh, yes, they were. I remember that. And, and, and just a quick thing, how uh, Black, or how Anova was um, based on New York, this area was based off of Paris. Calos, yeah, the Calos region is based off of France. Uh, most of France. I think, like, part of the southern part is not included for some reason. So, let me see... You're called to meet Professor Sycamore, who's uh, the leading professor in the Kalos region of Lumino City. Um, you receive what your starter, either Chespin, Finnegan, or Froakie, uh, as your starter Pokemon. Ch- Chespin is a hedgehog, Finnegan is a fox, and Froakie is a frog. Um, a fox. Yeah. Yeah, I, I picked Finnegan because I love foxes. And, yes. and again, it's a fire type, and I like foxes. Yay. Yep. Yep, and, and it wasn't a firefighting type at the end for once. It was fi- fire psychic, which is an interesting combination. Yes, and it, it actually is neat. The, uh, the final evolutions of the starters this time are all like, uh, you know, represent the traditional classes in an RPG. Uh, mm-hmm. You had Del Fox was the mage. You had um, Chestnut was a like a, a tank unit, a knight, and you had um, and uh, Greninja is a rogue, a ninja, or a thief with a tongue for a scarf. Yes. <laughs> I wondered about that myself <laughs> when I got the amiibo and when I was sitting there staring at it. But I, I digress. So you make your way to Lumino City to meet with Professor Sycamore, and you find out that there's a power outage. And when you get to Professor Sycamore, he wants you to research Mega Evolution. And at that point, he gives you a Kanto region starter and their respective mega stuff. And I, I remember the um, the promotions before the game came out were like really selling that hey, you get your Kanto starter of your choice. So kind of really playing on people's nostalgia. Yeah, it's just like yeah. hey, Gen One, remember Gen One? Yeah. But it also helped you balance out your team really easily too. I quickly boxed it because I want to use new Pokemon, and they only introduced 72 in this generation. But, um, before you... You have to go on your journey to help research the Mega Evolutions, but before you leave the city, you meet, uh, Lissandra, who desires a more beautiful world, and, of course, Lissandra is uh, dressed all in red, or kind of in red and black and all fabulous. And you continue your journey, journey totally and... Totally isn't evil. Totally isn't oh, yeah, evil. totally isn't evil. And you continue your journey, and the team, the bad guys this time around are Team Flare, whose goals at first seem to be wanting to make money off of Pokemon. And later, they reveal and their truth. they dress really stupidly, I think. Yeah, yeah, they all dress, like, really fabulous. 
I mean, I mean, they're, they're good dressers. I mean, oh, not they're good dressers. They're like really snazzy dressers and like flashy outfits and stuff. But it's all very fabulous. And their goal is that they want to annihilate humanity to return it to a more pristine, beautiful state. Which I find baffling. The Pokemon world is practically a utopia. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. The real world. I mean, I mean, compared to kind of the grandiose story of black and white, this seems definitely seems like a step back as far as storytelling. Well, yeah, and it's, it's just it's so out of nowhere. Like later on, you find out that Lysander um, had tried to help the world, but he thought he just grew disillusioned with people because he thought they were stupid and they were greedy and they were evil and just wanted to you know get rid of them all to restart to start afresh. And just like okay, dude. And we're, his ideas are actually very similar to the, uh, the the team leader of Team Galactic in Diamond and Pearl and Platinum. Oh yeah. Uh, which his name is escaping me right now, Drat. But anyway, his, but he wanted to. He also was disillusioned with the world and wanted to become a god and recreate the universe. So Lysander's is somewhat a step down. He just wanted to kill everybody, not destroy the universe and create a new one. Evil. Silly but evil. um. Anyway, so so you make your way to Shalor City, there where you learn how to use the Mega Evolution Stone from the Mega Evolution Guru, and his granddaughter Corina, who is the gym leader of Shalor City, and you have a special fight with her and her Lucario, uh, <clears throat> I believe using your own uh, Kanto starter that also Mega Evolves. And once you beat them, then you're allowed to use Mega Evolution, and uh, one of her Lucarios goes with you. In kind of a cute little scene where the Lucario, like, respects you as a trainer and wants to go with you. And that that particular Lucario was in my final team, just because Lucario was one of my favorites anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I, Lucario is, like, my second favorite Pokemon at that, that second or third. I, I, it keeps fighting with Charizard in battle, but... <laughs> uh, and Lou's still on top. But anyway, uh, but uh, but again, it's not a new Pokemon, so it had to be boxed. Sorry, Lucario. Aw. So then you, you go through and you defeat your gym leaders like always, and you foil Team Flare and their plans, and they're trying to steal energy using the region's power, the region's power plants and stuff like that. And once you obtain the seventh badge, that's when Lissandra addresses the entire region via the Holocaster and informs everyone that he is the leader of Team Flare, big surprise, and <laughs> intends to destroy humanity. And you go find Team Flare's secret lab underneath the cafe in Luminous City, um, and that's where you meet a nine-foot-tall man named Az, spelled A-Z. I think he's just called A-Z, and you meet him at least once before them, but it was also just this weird, mysterious, very tall guy. Um, yeah. And he, he unceremoniously dumps his backstory on you in there. Yeah, e exposition, exposition. <laughs> um, and he, he says that he is the 3,000-year-old king who wants to use the ultimate weapon to that utilize energy from the legendary Pokemon Xenoris or Yevital, aka the box mascots, to end a war in Kalos. And Az's decision to use the ultimate weapon was motivated, motivated by his desire to revive the Pokemon he loved the most, which was uh, Floet, yes, the little flower Pokemon. Yeah, a fairy type. And uh, it, his is unique because it has a special flower that no other Floet gets. And supposedly in the data, there's a way, like, 
you can get it as a Pokemon, but it was never introduced, so way to actually get it for yourself. I see. I see. I never picked up on that before. But but yeah. So but he yeah yeah. And you also find out that after this weapon was fired, that's how Mega Evolution into the world because this energy that he fired out infused special stones. Uh, this energy came from also several Pokemon that had died during the war, and because of that, these stones are now infused and allow Pokemon to Mega Evolve. Yeah, but the, but then the Floet was pissed at him for using that and left him, and he mm-hmm. spent three thousand years hunting Pokemon. Because yeah, using the weapon also made him immortal. Mm-hmm. And then um, you you find all of this out in this exposition dump, and you decide to go stop Team Flare, and <clears throat> you find out that their second base is in Ge- Geo Singe Town, and that's the location of the ultimate weapon. And upon reaching that core, you discover that there is either a dormant Xana... I'm, I'm butchering these names, I Xerneas or Eveltown, yes. Yeah. You find out that there's a dormant there, whichever uh, version of the game you have, and you have to capture it in order to bring it into Lysandra's plans and defeat him in the final battle... Uh, defeat him in a battle one last time. And then after you defeat Team Flare, you get your 8th gym badge, you go... Before then, he, like, Lysander still tries to fire off the weapon, but it somehow only catches him and most of Team Flare in the blast, and he may or may not be dead. Uh, I, I, I think uh, the recent Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon kind of hits that maybe not, but but yeah, he just, he kind of unceremoniously kills himself and most of Team Flare. Uh yeah, and then and after all this plays out, then you go get your 8th gym badge, and you go do the Elite Four, and... All, all of that fun stuff, you pretty much just go through the game, go through the rest of the game. Um, I forgot who the champion, the first the, champion. Uh, D- Diantha is her name, and uh, she has the most awesome uh, ba- battle, like, champion battle theme in the series, I think. It's super, it's got this, this bell that's also composed by Shota Kageyama. It's really neat. Yeah, I, I remember I did like the music in this game very much. And when, when the credits roll, you find uh, the, the they throw a parade, and you find AZ, and he battles you during the per- the parade. And then when you defeat him in battle, his Floet returns to him, and they're reunited for the first time in three thousand years. And a very very touching cutscene. Yes, and that, also uh, would become a meme. <laughs> oh, it did? Yeah, you haven't seen it. I've seen it all over the place. Like you see the screenshot of AZ with the flow in his hand saying it's been 3,000 years to like for somebody waiting for something for a long time or they replace it with like 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 whatever thing they've been waiting for a time okay yeah I do remember that meme now yeah. I, um and, and I'm not gonna lie that scene kind of teared me up a little bit but I was already probably emotional anyway because I was playing this game at around the time I got married ah <laughs> but yeah that, that was the story in a nutshell if it seemed like I breezed through it really quick well the game kind of breezed through it very quickly too yeah, it was over really quick. It's really linear. It feels like, a, like it, again, it's like very similar to Diamond and Pearl's story of, hey, evil team wants to use Pokemon to hit the reset button on everything because the team leader thinks the world sucks. Or I guess in uh, whatever his name was, Cyrus. That was Team Galactic's leader's name. Cyrus wanted to hit the reset button on the universe. See, uh, and, and the characters are so one note. Like, N was complex, was super complex. Uh, like, uh, the gym leaders had more personality to them. You had uh, uh, Bianca, like, has a story, has a growth arc. Alder has a growth arc. Even Sharon was relatively minor, but, you know, he's still there. And then you have, like, like the four friends you carry with. They all, they can all be described in, like, you know, in short sentences. Tierno likes to dance. Trevor wants to finish the Pokedex. Your rival is good-natured, but um, 
but uh, competitive. And Shauna doesn't really know what she wants to do, but she's just all cheerful. I just like like compared to like Churn and Bianca, just so one note. Yeah, um, and AV uh, I guess it's supposed to be complex, but his backstory is so you you hardly get to know him before the story is dumped on you. <clears throat> Unlike yeah, him. yeah, I I do think that the story is the probably the weakest part of this game, and it's unfortunate given how how great black and white story was. But I I felt like what it kind of made up in or what it lacked in story it made up for in gameplay because by God I played the crap out of this game. Um, I I remember. Um, hang on, let me collect my thoughts real quick. I, I remember I wasn't going to pick it up originally because I was getting married at around this time and I had so much stuff to do. And my husband picked it up and couldn't put it down and it was like, Kelly, you've got to get it. Like, okay, fine. Oh, I came and then get, got it and just couldn't put it down. Um, loved all the catching. All, all um, they, even though there wasn't that many new Pokemon, it was kind of nice to see all of the Pokemon that I did was used to uh, in in 3D for the first time on a handheld. Mm-hmm. And one of the big additions that they added to this one was the Poke. And I'm going to butcher this Pokeonomy or Poke. Yeah, Pokemonomy. I Pokemonomy. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's basically a mini game where you can pet and play with your Pokemon. And actually interact with them for the first time, like directly via the touch screen. And you could talk, talk with them, even though the microphone didn't really pick up things that well. Uh, you could play a face matching game with the front camera, which also didn't match up well at all. Yeah, oh yeah, that was like I, I even taking off my glasses, I couldn't get that thing to work. But uh, and it kind of behooves you to do the Pokemon playing thing because you get special benefits. Um, when they reach three hearts, they get an EXP bonus. They can heal status ailments in the middle of a fight, which is a godsend. Um, I think at max level, they can take a critical hit with one hit point. Mm-hmm. And the flavor text, uh, Meowth endured the hit because it didn't want to disappoint you. Is just... Like you, you go, little buddy. You take that hit. You, you win for Mama. Yeah. They also they, they dodge more often too. It would say like the, the text would say that, and just to be uh, just so you, this never happens during like a link battle with another fin or the battle Mason, which is the battle tower of this game. Like, nope, no easy for you. <laughs> no, but I, I don't play competitive anyway. Uh. So. Um, my, my favorite Pokemon of this generation ended up being Esper and Meowstic, just because, you know, cats. And they're pretty neat looking, too. Like, Esper's got, I, I think they're both supposed to be uh, Scottish uh, fold cats. Yeah. And, and mixed with the uh, with the Nekomata of Japanese mythology. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, yeah, Esper's got these, like, these, it's, it's, it's huge eyes are kind of adorable, and it always seems to be staring at like it's like it's seen things you haven't believed. Oh, the the memes that came out with Esper, oh, yeah. the, the video that like Esper was, I, I think like killing kids on a playground or something because. Okay, uh, that's a little... Yeah, I was like Esper, no, you bad kitty, you don't get a you don't get a thing. Put that child down, which was creepy and funny at the same time. But man, my my meow stick, my female meow stick, ended up being level eighty eight. Because I used her so much, and that, that was one thing about Esper that was neat too is that it, it, she got they got a different move set depending on what gender they were, and it, it, they looked different. 
Yeah, they had a different design depending male or female. The males were more defensive and support. The females were more attack. But I'll, I'll never forget my Esper just be, being my little buddy because of the Pokemon, Pokemon and me, and just, just creaming everybody because I leveled it up so much. Wow. Yeah, there's like there's fewer Pokemon, but I do admit that the designs are like they're all like they're all quite unique. Um, they are like nothing seems to be wasted, and there's only two Pokemon I could say that are absolutely like horrid design wise, which is Binacle, the stupid looking barnacle hand thing, and Barbaracle, which is like uh, this tall thing made out of hands. Like I, I don't know who came up with that, but that was dumb. Everything else though was pretty cool though. Yeah, for the most part, I wasn't really a fan of Klefki because you know Pokemon with keys. Well, but, I don't know. It's a fairy. It's like a I don't know. I guess I guess I don't know. I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I guess they a different fairy type for you know a different design for a fairy type. But the, but then some of them were also very handy. Like Talonflame was a fire flying type. Oh, I, yeah, that was the <laughs> final evolution of the common bird, which is based on a robin. So if you didn't if you didn't pick your uh, fire type from the beginning, you had a really good fire type from the start. That not only could be your fly HM slave, but also were flame body, which made made egg hatching a godsend. Um, and it was, yeah, and its its hidden ability, Gale Wings, allowed it to they almost go like go first if it used flying attacks. It was super like super helpful in com- like the competitive scene and um, also uh, the battle mace on. And it's got a cool design. It's a it's a fiery peregrine falcon. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Oh, I, I loved it. It was one of my main party members. Oh, actually, no. It, it was my main party member for leveling other dudes and hatching eggs. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Leo and Pyroar, I oh, love yeah. because they're lions. Also, yeah. ones that looked that look yeah. different based off of gender. Yeah, and they're pro- uh, yeah they're proper like proper lions too. Because Pokemon has had Entei, which is like a weird sort of like Chinese lion dog thing, vaguely. Mm-hmm. And you had the um like uh Drat, the electrical cats, uh, Shinx, uh, Luxray, Shinx, Shinx. and Luxray. Yes, yeah. Like Luxray was sort of lionish, like a lion next to the lake. But this is like these are proper lions. Yeah, I, I love the meme of Luxray dropping Pyroar off a cliff and saying "Long live the king." That was, <laughs> I did. I haven't seen that one. But that sounds funny. That one was great. Um, other great designs: Pantheon and Pangoro, the pandas that 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 turned into uh, fighting dark. Yeah, because yeah, the it's like based on like a Japanese delinquent becoming basically a boncho panda, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Eddie's always chewing on a leaf, and when he evolves, he chews into a sheet of bamboo, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who yeah, so yeah, we uh, mentioned the starters are pretty cool. Um, yeah, all three starters look... Yeah, they're all pretty cool. And, and the, their evolutions look so great in the final mm-hmm. form. Dude, a lot of people think that um, Chespin's final form was kind of dumb, but I thought it looked great. I thought it was, you know, fine for the whole point of the design. I think I really like Delta's design. A lot of people don't seem to, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Just like this wizard fox, the mm-hmm. name based on like the Jap- like the Japanese, I want to say, the Greek uh, oracle of Delphi. Uh, yeah. So those were pretty. And uh, I'm trying to think here what other... Um, Honage, Doublade, and Agislash? Ah, yes. Haunted sword, goat, like steel, goat, steel ghost types. Uh, really... Those are pretty neat. Uh, dread. I, I know there's a lot of good. You had the, uh, you had the, uh, the, the Gudra, like the Gudra evolution. It was oh, the, uh, I the loved Gudra. that one. Yeah, it was like you take a snail and turn it into a dragon. It was, it's actually a lot cooler than it sounds. Yeah, the, the only problem is trying to evolve that thing oh. because it's, 
It's not rain. raining where you need it to rain because it, it had to be raining in order to evolve. Yes, and so you had to like, like when it's about to evolve, you had to like run around the region hoping it would rain somewhere. You could like, so it would evolve. <laughs> oh, but if you were uh, IV training, sweet scent to to try and do um, chain battles that didn't work, or not yeah. cha- train battles. I'm sorry, horde battles. Yeah, horde. Yeah, there were horde battles in this game, which basically you fought multiple lower level Pokemon at once. Which, it, it, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that you could do that this time around, because, you know, I remember very distinctly in one area, it, if there's a horde battle, it'll spawn, like, a Zangoose and a whole <laughs> horde of Survipers, and vice, vice versa, and of course all the Survipers will gang up on the Zangoose. Yeah, there were other, there were lots of neat things. I think, uh, was it this game, I think, where you would, there was this Pokemon, it's kind of a simple design, it's a uh, Carbank, which is uh, a fairy rock type. Uh, if, if you get a horde into them, sometimes they'll be accompanied by a Sableye, which is a, a third-generation ghost and dark-type Sableye eat gems. So presumably it's trying to prey on those poor carving. Yeah. Yeah, neat little stuff like that. Now, the, the drawback of this is that you can't. You can only catch one Pokemon, so you have to defeat all the others. Yeah. And if you don't have decent AOE, or if you want to catch one of them, trying to pick all of them off can be kind of a pain. And if there's a, sh- the, it has a chance to spawn a shiny more often with mm-hmm. that. So if you if you find that shiny Zangoose in the herd of survivor survivors, <laughs> you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. But I, I liked how it it, it added more, a little bit more dynamic. Uh, ideas to the fights like that. Yes, yeah, that was neat. Um, the two fossil Pokemon I thought was great. You actually get a proper T-Rex this time around, and a um, proper tr- Tyrannosaurus. Yes, a proper Tyrannosaurus, and a, uh, a, uh, Brachiosaurus. Sauropod. Yeah, yeah, Sauropod. Uh, a, a, it's the, uh, a, 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 I know, I know what they look like, I know, it's like a Maroras and our Aurora, eh. Yeah. I can remember, like, Tyrant and Tyrantrum. Mm-hmm. Those I had on my team. Oh, that's right. They, their designs are pretty cool. Yeah, it's your, it's your standard T-Rex, but it's like, you know, it's a Pokemon T-Rex. And, uh, like, and like Tyrantrum actually has what looks like feathers around it. Like a little nod to, you know, the whole, di- you know, birds or dino- birds yeah. dinosaur connection. You know, I, don't, I never noticed that before I'm looking at the Pokedex right now. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, and then... still a debate. Were Tyrannosaur, you know, was the Tyrannosaurus feathered? Yeah. Yeah, and and then what well, last thing kind of second we get into another thing is um, Hawlucha was one of my favorites. Oh, wow. because I I liked it. not only that I like his design and his moveset, but he was also one of the better HM slaves. Which this game, you kind of see them downplaying HMs a little bit. They were still there, but they weren't nearly as necessary. They were more to find hidden items and stuff like that yeah. and open up shortcuts. Yeah, but you didn't need it to, like, get to the next gym, at least far or less often, uh, much you, less swimming around. You could get away with not having an HM slave on your party and just having the two that were actually useful in battle, which is Surf and Fly, which is kind of appreciate. I appreciate very much because I felt like Black and White really was a pain in the butt with the HMs. I and <laughs> I remember that that, that in the encounter rate frustrating me, but it kind of sets the tone for what comes later. Mm-hmm. But we, we won't get into that just yet. But I, just, I find it funny that in this one you see it kind of slowly going away. Um, they really took the online component from black and white and just ran full throttle with online in this. 
Yep. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, you still had your standard battling and trading. GTS, of course, is back. That'll probably that'll never go away. I'm sure, unless they had something better. But then you get the Pokemon Lottery, aka the Wonder Trade. Mm-hmm. And you, sometimes you'll get a Bidoof. Sometimes you'll get a Legendary from Black and White. Yeah, sometimes you'll get like a, a hacked Pokemon. A lot. I've got a bunch of hacked Pokemon that way. Uh, I got a, a shiny Rayquaza that is definitely hacked. I got a shiny Mew that is definitely hacked. See, I, I thought it was funny because I, um, hang on, let me click my phone. I can all I could always tell when people were just dumping stuff that they were trying to IV train because they would have the marks on them. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I did that. Like any of my breeding leftovers, I would put on the wonder trade and sometimes try to trade that way if i'm just like hey can i get like a female starter some cool start oh cool okay that took only several times yeah but th- that was another interesting thing about this game they actually made iv and e training kind of more accessible in this yeah, one it was no longer it was no longer a hidden thing you could do it with a mini game yes because uh, at this point like the nintendo was trying to get pokemon to be maybe going saying esports is going too far but definitely trying to play up more of its competitiveness and trying to get more people interested in playing Pokemon competitively. Mm-hmm. Um, admittingly, I never took it too seriously. I used to do a couple of like the, uh, the Wi-Fi tournaments with, in fifth generation, but every time, like one world around, I didn't have time to like build up new Pokemon or do anything else. But still, I I still do things like I I, I uh, breed my Pokemon for best IVs, at least my favorites, and then EV train them, and it's much easier because you had a special mini game where you could build up EV. Uh, it was easier to check their IVs, which is like the stats that showed, like which showed which stats would be the highest. Mm-hmm. And although it's, it's although it's still actually a lot faster to use horde battles to build IVs than it is to use the mini game, but I guess it's it's easier to understand the mini game than it is to like know. Okay, this Pokemon gives out this much EVs of this uh, attack type. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and a lot. Why not that way? And a lot less RNG too, because there's certain areas that you couldn't do horde battles. Um, just yeah, because it's yeah. either raining or what have you. Um, and you could also use the punching bags, too, which which is nice, because if you got a null bag, I think it was called, you could reset everything. So it, yeah, made, it made EV... I, I, I always get the terms confused. It made the training EV accessible. Training. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it made it accessible to, if you level up a Pokemon and want to reset their stats later, you could do that, which is awesome. Yes, although you could still go use a tried and true like e uh, EV reducing berries, uh, which I think you can only grow in one place in this game, but you know, that's fine. But you could also play around with the uh, the muta- mutations and planting berries next to each other to cause oh, different yeah, that pretty- stuff right, like that. Right, that's cool. That's cool. Um, um, what else? Was uh, well, okay, there's there's a, I remember there's like being a bunch of weird little like hidden creepy things, uh, some hidden things that were never built upon, and weirdly things that I think were tried to attract the creepy pasta crowd. Uh, <laughs> you like somewhere along the journey, you find the scary house, and this butler recounts a scary story about encountering a horde of faceless men. Nothing ever comes of this. You never need a, po- a faceless Pokemon, let alone a horde of them. <laughs> I don't know what the point of that was. Also, um, if you go to, uh, at the end of the game, I forget which city, it might have been Lumios, you go to a hotel, and there's this girl that uses the, uh, the, a model of a trainer called the Hex Maniac. Uh, she tell, she says, she seems to like, like, you're, the, the screen blackens out, she suddenly appears in the room, she almost glides in front of you and says, no, you're not the one, and then glides away off screen and you can't find her. What is this? Who knows? <laughs> 
The game, nobody, there's no, no follow-up, no explanation. Oh, you know, in the next game, they make creepy, creepypasta into its own Pokemon. <laughs> okay, that would actually be funny. No, no, I'm talking about Mimikyu. Oh, that's right, That's, that's creepypasta the Pokemon. Okay, but... I thought you were being a little more literal. But yeah, no. I guess that's, no, yeah, that's true. But, and also, like, there's a train that might go to a different region, but you never follow it. There's, again, there's a whole, like, southern part of uh, Kalos that you don't go to. And also, a trainer somewhere out in the open will give you a mysterious statue uh, called the Strange Idol, I think. And this is actually a reference to the next generation, which always confused me. Like, did they want to do, like, a follow-up to X and Y, or did they want to go to the next generation? But there you go. And, and one, one last thing that, that, that they added to this game that I think kind of was a literal game-changer was giving you the EXP share right away and having it affect all Pokemon instead of just the one. yeah. That Which, also made it way too easy. <laughs> oh, some people say that, and and that's fine. But and I like that you can turn it off. Yeah, you can just turn it off, and there you go. It's now it's not super. Stop complaining. I I appreciated the hell out of it because it made my life so much easier, and I'm glad that they've had that going forward. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I use it when I'm trying to like raise money like level 100 and such so it's definitely useful uh, it definitely yeah. has its uses yeah I mean and they really went all out to try to make this game as accessible as possible and I, I think that it kind of helped save the series a little bit because I, I mean I did feel like Black and White was kind of the series was getting a little bit long in the tooth and this a lot of the stuff that they did like the EXP share and making the IV and EV training accessible just was a game changer uh, yes, like, okay, I'm a bit, maybe a little harder than I and white. I just feel like the story should have been on par with black and white, not be a step backwards, but it, it's got, you know, way more, it's got way more, like, other things going for it in terms of gameplay, in terms of the graphics, in terms of, the music is equally as good, I'd say. Oh, yes. In terms of accessibility, in terms of more originality, I'm kind of lukewarm on Mega Evolution still. It just, I mean, like, for years, since third generation, people were going, oh, that Pokemon looks Digimon, and now just... Okay, fine. Mega, mega evolution. Here, it's a Digimon now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really didn't get care too much about mega evolution just because it was only temporary anyway. Yeah, I think that's a, more. Of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a four. But yeah, it's useful for competitive because it made certain Pokemon more now. And an interesting little. It's a, a very interesting wrinkle to battle uh, as to how these mega evolutions worked. And it was. It's an interesting aspect of the lore, which we'll actually go into more to the next set of games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that you saying that you were feeling a little bit harsh to this game than you felt initially. I felt the same way about Black and White, because I remember not liking Black and White that much when I first played it. And then, you know, kind of going into the story and go, just kind of reading into it, it's like, man, I need to give Black and White another chance. Yeah, and just like X and White, yeah, I, I don't have to be that hard on it. Yes, the story is a step backwards. And there, Nintendo seems to be going back on the right track since 7th Generation is... Was a, was a you know, was more of a step up. Maybe still not on par, but mm-hmm. more of a step up. And it's just like, you know what? Both of these games are fine. And I, I do appreciate what X and Y did to revitalize Pokemon since I seem to be in a minority thinking Black and White were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of step back, you know, the the pattern always is new game, new system, then remake. Yes. So, let's talk about the remakes. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's move on. Yeah, you must be in the minority, because it sold 16.3 million copies, in case you haven't heard. So it must be the awesomest in the world. I mean, I think black and white wasn't that far behind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I did, you know. I, you have to check that one out. Mm-hmm. Um... <gasps> 
Pokemon always sells a butt ton. Oh well, yeah, it sells. Yeah, it yeah. sells by the truckload. Yeah, by, like by the, like you could just you could just I don't know. I'm just gonna come up with an idea out of my ass here. You could you could kind of remake an older game and still sell 14.1 million copies worldwide, <laughs> like they did with Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, developed by Game Freak, published by the Pokemon Company and Nintendo. This was released in, um, well, worldwide release November 21st, 2014, except if you were in the EU, EU, you had to wait until November 28, 2014. Another single-player monster-collecting, hunting, role-playing game combination experience. Yeah, funny thing about that late release in the EU, I believe it was Certain like stores in certain countries, I, I want to say Spain, but I'm not entirely sure, had released X and Y before the street date. So Nintendo punished the entire region, apparently. <laughs> but f- full disclosure, um, Ruby and Sapphire, the original ones, at, were probably my favorite Pokemon games of all time. Um, it's for me, they had kind of like really refined the formula by that point and having those beautiful 3D graphics, or not 3D graphics, I'm sorry, those beautiful um, 16-bit kind of era graphics, combined with the fact that, you know, I was in college and I had my Game Boy SP out all the time, and that's pretty much what I played in between classes, at work when I had downtime. So I put an ungodly amount of hours into the original Ruby and Sapphire. So when this one was announced, I was beside myself with excitement of get, getting my favorite games in the series remade. Yeah, like I great, I loved the third generation of games. I mean, yeah, people were kind of disappointed that you couldn't transfer, you know, Gen One and Gen Two Pokemon into there, but I, I didn't mind that at all. I like, like the Pokemon in Gen Three to Three are my favorite generation of Pokemon. Uh, lots of species I like in there, um, and it's just like it was so neat. Later games would become favorites, and admittingly, it's, I, I didn't, I didn't play um, Omega Ruby in my case until like six months before um, Sun and Moon came out because generally uh, I'm usually slow to get to like three makes for or another until it's just like, oh, next generation coming out soon. I better play through this and finish it. Oh, I, I bought that day one. I I was beaten down GameStop store. Like, give, give me my Omega Ruby because I cannot wait to play this so much. And um, Ruby and Sapphire have uh, probably my second favorite Pokemon of all time, which is Zangoose. Because when I caught when I caught him in the original, he was my best buddy. Um, it Meowth was my favorite, by the way, just because I, that's who I kind of connected with the most. But Zangoose is I, I love that dude because his attack and speed are so through the roof that it's ridiculous. And that was one of the first Pokemon that I really had a connection with. So, um, yeah, I mean, not much to say about the story. It's pretty much the same story as the originals, but with They they do expand on it, and then there's the Delta episode, so I guess it can go into, like, I guess it's a slightly expanded version. Instead of Team Aqua and Team Magma just trying to expand the land and expand the sea, you know, respectively... Both of them, both of uh, the leaders, Team Archie and, and Team Archie, what am I saying? Archie and, uh, uh, and his, the, the Team Aqua guy escapes me, Max. Uh, no, Archie, he's Archie. Uh, Max, Ma- Max? What's Max? Max? Drat. I I'm think so. But, but yeah, anyway, the leaders now want, also want to re- hit the reset button on the world because they want to use Primal Groudon, which is Groudon after, and Primal Kyogre, which is either of these legendary Pokemon after having absorbed a lot of energy. Not what they call natural energy, 
They're, and uh, it becomes extremely powerful, similar but not identical to Mega Evolution, and then it would use its powers to kill everything on the face of the planet so they could start everything all over again. I don't think they go into much information as to why they want to hit the reset button on the world, but there you go, more weird on the sidle maniacs in a bit of practical utopia world. <laughs> and, but yeah, yeah, so but you do stop them from doing that because they do go primal. You still manage to beat these Pokemon before they destroy the world, and of course you capture one of them. And uh, so you beat the game with normally, and then you go into the Delta episode, which is actually pretty involved, plot-wise. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, so in that one, uh, you are you are you and the uh, the you know, your player and the rival, the opposite gender, you are invited to go to the space like the space force that's in the, the space force, like the space agency that's on Moss Deep City to watch uh, a meteor shower. But when you're there, you find out that there is a very strange meteor on the way to Earth, and it's, and it's very strange because it's somehow able to change its trajectory, and they're afraid that it's going to you know it's going to destroy the, it's going to destroy the world or at least cause a lot of trouble. So they are trying to cook up this very elaborate plot of, like, using infinite energy, which you... You're going to hear energy so much, and I'm sure a physicist somewhere is pulling their hair out saying, that's not what energy... But, like, infinite energy, which you find out is from the bioenergy of Pokemon. It's the, po the energy of Pokemon, which they never quite explain where they get it from, but you probably use your imagination. And using human energy to replicate Mega Evolution, to fire up a rocket so the rocket will create a world that the meteor will fall through. And hopefully be transported far away. Because, uh, by the way, Pokemon acknowledges a multi has since at least the fifth generation. <laughs> hey, in, in uh, Ultra Moon, you actually traveled through the multiverse. Yes, and so, but anyway, so later you there's this uh, you meet this strange woman. She she at first seems to be part of Team Magma or Team Aqua, but she's actually not. Her name is Zinnia, and she explains that if you were to do that, the, the wormhole might actually go to a parallel universe, and you might end obliterating a planet in that universe. And she actually says, what if in this universe mega evolution never happened? And it's just a, a one thought, but I guess it's supposed to explain the original version of, uh, of the original, at least the original um, Ruby and Sapphire. Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire takes place in a universe where the uh, mega evolution occurred, and the original Ruby and Sapphire occurred in a universe where it never was discovered, and hence that's how these two versions exist, and presumably that's why you have original uh, you know, red and blue and original gold and silver and their remakes and how we apparently have yet another set of universes based on Let's Go Eevee on... But anyway... We need a Pokemon timeline. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, the games have a vague acknowledgement that there's something going on sequentially, but mm, I don't know. They, they, they play fast and loose with that. Anyway, so you find out Zinnia is trying to... Zinnia is trying to uh, summon Rayquaza, the legendary dragon, so it could mega evolve into mega Rayquaza stop the meteorite. She goes around trying to steal people's um, keystones, which enable Mega Evolution. And also you find out that one of the uh, remnants of Team Aqua or Team Magma, at least in Team Magma, it's a strange girl named Courtney uh, who's... And she's, she's, like, she's still trying to go to like, the old leader's um, dream of resetting, resetting the world, but she stopped anyway. Uh, Zinnia meets with Rayquaza at the top of the Sky Pillar Tower, but Rayquaza is still unable to Mega Evolve. Uh, the player still has a meteorite on them, and the game uh, swallows it and right, uh, allows it to mega evolve into Mega Rayquaza, and Rayquaza is the only Pokemon Mega Stone. Also, it's the single most powerful Pokemon, at least stat-wise. Actually, no. It, along with Mega Mewtwo, stat-wise, at least. Stat totals are ridiculously powerful. Even more powerful than God. RK, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I'm pretty sure remakes of, you know, the, the inevitable Gen 4 remakes are going to make Primal Arceus or Mega Arceus or whatever 
Anyway, um, completely getting sidetracked here. So the player rides on Rayquaza after having captured and it interrupts the meteorite and seems to destroy it, but it leaves behind a strange triangular rock, and the rock becomes the mythical, very creepy extraterrestrial Pokemon Deoxys. And this is the only way you can bat, like, capture Deoxys without an event. And in fact, I think it's the only um, mythical Pokemon that you can capture in a game without some kind of event item or something downloaded to your game. You can capture it. You capture it. it you, I'm sure you hope to capture it. I, I threw a Master thing, because heck no, oh. I'm not going to make it. I saved my Master Ball for that thing. Yeah. And then, you know, the world is saved because the meteorite's not going to crash in, which I always found weird because Deoxys are creepy, but they're usually not on the side, so what's up with that? And, but yeah, that's the, uh, and that's the end of that. So you get a bit, you know, it's got a bit more of a ball story. Also, Zinnia has a really, really awesome personal theme and battle theme, also composed by Shota Kageyama. Very awesome. See, I remember my favorite song in the game being that that one town where Wally goes to live in because the air is so clean. I think it's called Burdendorf Town, if memory serves yeah. me correct. Weirdly, the theme's escaping me, but I'm sure I'll... I sure I agree if I just can just hear it again. Yeah, but, I'd have yeah, to... But those new tracks are really cool. So, you know, the, the original Ruby and Sapphire kind of invoked madness in me and that I ended up completing the Pokedex on the original Ruby and Sapphire and Leaf Green and Fire Red. Um, this game invoked a mega madness in me and that I got the bright idea that I was going to do a living Pokedex, <laughs> which means one copy of every single Pokemon ever. And the reason why this madness came about is because um, you can pretty much catch nearly every legendary from past generations in this game if you know where to look because at some point in the game you get a flute that lets you summon a megalatius or latios depending mm -hmm. on which version of the game you have and you can fly around the area and you find these mirage islands and you know a lot of the mirage islands have just you know po pokemon from other generations and stuff like that but there are conditions where you can unlock Mirage Islands that have legendaries from the other games. And just just off the top of my head, like, the three legendary dogs, um, you had to be at an island at a certain time of the day. Hmm. Um, like the uh, Storm Trio from Black and White, I can't remember what the unlock conditions were for them, but you had to do something special for that. Um, Oho and Lugia, you could find. Uh, the Lake Trio from Platinum. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 three the the, the Ungulate Musketeers. Yeah, very yeah, Verizian, uh, Tarakian, and yeah, and I mean, obviously, you needed a guide to figure all this out. If you tried oh, to yeah. figure it all out all yourself, you was going to drive yourself insane. But the fact that most of them, and and also the, like, um, it depended on the version of the game too. Like, I know that Oho was in Ruby and Latias. Or no, I'm sorry, Lugia. So all these names run together in my head after a while, but Lugia was in Sapphire. So, I mean, you had to do some trading and stuff like that, but the fact that most of them were in this game just blew my mind, and it was cool to be able to get all these get all these legendary Pokemon and then get a couple of extras and see if you could trade on the GTS to get the ones that you were missing. Yeah, like, I, I think between, like, all the sixth generation, X and Y, like, among X and Y... Would get every Pokemon except for most of the mythical, which you of course have to get via you know special event or somebody yeah. who was really really nice. <laughs> and and then I remember that year Nintendo had a 
legendaries where they released all of those mythicals either via the mystery gift via online or going to GameStop and being able yeah. to get code yeah like at that point i had captured at least one of every mythical but you can never have enough legendary nice <laughs> no no you can never and one mythical you pokemon should... Usually when there's a mythical, I will download it on each copy of my game just to have extras. Yeah, yeah, same here. But, but I, and not only that, this, this particular game had the Poké Radar on there where um, each area you could figure out who, who all you needed to catch. And yeah, it was I, a fun distraction to like try to capture everything that was there on the routes and complete it 100%. Yeah, and I did that because I, I don't know, I was insane. <laughs> um... I just I could not get enough of this game when when I finally finished my uh, living Pokédex, I ended up having to put it down. It's like I I've played this game so much that I I mean unless I go do competitive battles, there's nothing else I can do in this game. That's how much I love playing through it. Wow. Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time on this because again I I just want to get it complete before Sun and Moon, and I didn't I did catch them in previous generations, and it's just like oh Sun and Moon are out. Okay. And then... <laughs> I haven't touched it since. Um, I, I'm maybe to trade something over. I'm pretty sure my counter on my 3DS, the only game that's on there that has had uh, has had more time put into it, is Animal Crossing. <laughs> Actually, to go back to fifth generation, I spent over 900. Became obsessed with like train, like train, like training all sorts of like basically one of every Pokemon that was somewhat competitive, although I didn't do it that well. I still got that bugbear up me, and then I died. Yeah, 900 hours spent on that game. And comparatively, I spent like, I think, 400 some odd hours on the Y version, and maybe about less than 100 on Omega Ruby. Yeah. I spent about 200 on Ultra Ultra Sun, so that's something. And and, and bear in mind, this is a remake of Ruby and Sapphire, but it brought in many of the features that they introduced in X and Y, like the Pokemonomy, the um, universal EXP share that gives it to all the characters, mm-hmm. or gives the EXP to all of your dudes, the online components with the uh, trading and wonder trade and stuff like that. So it was like, not only do I get my favorite game in the series, but I also get um, all the features that would I or what I felt made X and Y so good. And I, I'm looking at my DS right now. Yeah, Pokemon Omega Ruby, I put in 153 hours into. Animal Crossing is 165. Ah. Uh, so if, if I would have just, like, I don't know, maybe done, like, a couple more battles or, like, played for one more day, I finally would finally would have beaten Animal Crossing. <laughs> it's not easy. So... And yeah, I mean, these are really, these are very good remakes. Um, like, excellent. It's a shame I didn't spend as much time on it because, woo, tiny new generation came along too quickly. But yeah, yeah, yeah. These are still pretty, you know. And it's a, you know, these are still, you know, excellent. A good send off for sixth generation. Even we never did weirdly get the version, even though the anime had. I know what is up with that. Why didn't we not get Pokemon Z? Ooh, I, I couldn't tell you. And the weirder thing is, is that the apparently exclusive form of uh, Zygarde, which is one of the legendary and why, uh, its its form is perfect Zygarde, is in the next generation, not in a Z version, or even in an Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Figure that one out. Uh, 
But, I mean, I would think that if you want to get into a good Pokemon game that really encompasses a lot of what the series is about, I would recommend the um, Hoenn remix. Uh, it's definitely, definitely not a bad place to start, definitely not. Yeah. But I'm still not sure which one I would say to start with for a newcomer. I'd probably just say to the current generation. Yeah, I mean... That's a good point because um, Sun and Moon changed so much mm-hmm. of the of the formula that a newcomer would be kind of jarring going from uh, Gen six to Gen seven. That's true. Yeah. Um, it's just at the, I really do feel like um, Ruby and Sapphire, the whole remix Ruby and Sapphire, had the excellent story of the originals, but with the added features that made um, X and Y more accessible. Mm-hmm. Which is why I, I recommend it, but then again, the Gen Seven, which we shouldn't go into too in no. depth, also has a lot of anti-frustration features too. Yes, and but, but yeah, but but yeah, yeah, the uh, sixth generation was pretty cool, even if I'm even if in some ways I think the fifth, even if I think the fifth generation story is fantastic. It, it was certainly a good start to the 3D era, that's for yes, sure. Yes, definitely a good start. Mm-hmm. And I I think that the fifth generation was a good send off to the 2D. Yes, yes, that it was. So, so out of the four games we talked about, if you're just limiting your search to those four games, which would you recommend to somebody? I would recommend the Hone remakes. I mean, as much as I like the fifth generation, I mean, it might be hard to go backwards. I don't think... <laughs> I probably would say either the either the remakes or even X and Y, and maybe if you're curious, go back to fifth generation. I mean, it's not difficult in any way, but you know, there's a lot of conveniences in the later games. Yeah, the um, you get spoiled. You get spoiled on the EXP share. That's sure. Mm-hmm. Now, what about somebody like me? My my, I played the original a long time ago, and you know, Pope Pikachu and all that, and it was cute, you know, and it was different. But, um, you know, overall, the combat felt very simplistic, right? It's kind of like, you know what you're strong against, pull out that one Pokemon, attack, attack, attack. Uh, I've heard that later games added, like, two-on-two battles at death and added complexity and may have made the combat more compelling. For a combat freak like me, would that recommendation still hold up, or would you switch out your recommendation? The thing with that is that if you want to get that kind of battle experience, you're going to have to people or at least compete in like the special post game uh battle are- like battle area which changes depending on the game it's the battle tower battle subway in the fifth generation the battle mason in the sixth generation the battle tree in the seventh generation so but but the, 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 the gameplay is still gonna be simplistic with maybe the exception of the most recent games and uh one super powerful boss but that's getting ahead of myself yeah see uh, Phil, know, knowing you and knowing your your anti grinding thing, for you, I would almost recommend the seventh generation Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon because that one has um, it still has battles, but there's less of a focus on battles. You don't go fight gems in that one. You have uh, challenges that you must overcome. And the Pokemon are I, I, the, the battles are actually fairly difficult in that game. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, as for X, Y, like all of these games, um, battle-wise, I mean, pretty much all of them you could easily do tight matchup and just beat it out. I mean, heck, even Rayquaza, like fighting Rayquaza, fighting Zinni, I was just like, yeah, use ice moves, use dragon moves, meh. Try not to knock out Rayquaza because you want to capture Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a look here, see if I can find up some quick prices for you here. Oh, I think these these are probably still going for normal prices, right? Because they're pretty available. Um, 
black and white, probably you'd ha you're gonna have to find a used copy. Um, the 3DS games you could just get on the eShop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Pokemon Black version is forty five dollars on Amazon. So that's that a might actually be a little higher than the yeah, start. a little Wasn't higher. I swear it was a forty dollar game. Yeah, that's pr that's pretty high. So but it's... Pokemon games always retain their value. Yeah, they do. So hmm. Alrighty. Well, thank y'all for the in-depth information. Definitely, you, you, you ladies share a passion for the series. Uh, most definitely. How many hours did you say? 200? 900? A bazillion? Oh, on weight. Because I'm insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that That's some Pokemon. That's some Pokelove. This series, this series may, like, this is my first RPG series. This is my most beloved video game series of all time. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. See, for, for me, and the thing that I love about Pokemon is that it caters to so many play styles. If you, if you like to collect like I do, it's crack. <laughs> I mean, this game is crack cocaine for a collector like me. Whereas if you, if you like battling and you like building your super team and taking on tough opponents and taking on actual people, you can do that, too. There you go. Or, yeah, or, if, you, or if you just want to play through the story, you can do that, too. Yeah. Yeah, and now that yeah, this feels me a lot. Like, like I like to collect things. I like animals. I like uh, mythological creatures, and uh, I like to battle. Uh, this hits so many buttons. And heck, the fifth and sixth generations even added way more excellent music than I'm used to for Pokemon. So it hits that button too. I just uh, like to collect the ponies and all versions of ponies. Um, I and collect all the kitties. Yeah. So, so one of my one of my praises for the Monster Hunter series is if you get into let's say Monster Hunter Four Generations or Monster Hunter World, is that they've been working on the series for ten years. As a result, when you pick up any of the fourteen different weapons that are in that game, they all feel very solid because they've had you know five or six generations to get it right and to get it good do you feel like that 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 you could say the same thing about the pokemon series do you feel that there has been that constant improvement over time oh i think so yeah yes i mean except in terms of story i, I get it. except in terms of story but in general and steadily getting better and better just refining things making things more convenient uh mixing things up so it's not so you know so it's not so samey. Just it, it, the series is very good on you know, it, it, you know updating its iteration. And heck, even the current generation really threw a lot of new things for a loop. But I go do that too much. Well, yeah, and uh, you know, hey, maybe Pokemon's also like Monster Hunter in the fact that you just really don't play for the story. Monster Hunter Four has an okay story. It would have been nice if future games took it further, but they did it. But let's, let's be honest, we just want to kill monsters in that game. And in Pokemon, you just want to catch them all. Including those ultra rare legendary duhikis y'all were talking about. That's a lot of work. But so are I mean, some I, of the tougher monsters. I mean, I am not one of the. I really don't think that the series has gotten as stale as people c claim it to be. I, I, I mean, it may have felt like it was getting a little bit long in the Tooth Run Generation 4 or 5, but I also feel like that was a very experimental generation, two, two generations, because, you know, you got the DS, you've got things that they want to try with the DS, you have this kind of passive online thing that they didn't really know what to do with that yet, and that you could tell that they were kind of dipping their toe in a little bit with black and white, but because the uh, DSi wasn't really... Uh, kind of a dedicated online system uh, they couldn't really do it that well 
So when they, the 3DS came out and that system was capable of being online, they really like just hit the ground running with that. And I, I appreciate that they kind of experimented like that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, po- Pokemon is their baby. And, you know, I don't think that they're, they're going to do Pokemon wrong. Not with one of the main games, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, may- maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of iffy about the um, Let's Go games, oh. but they're also side games. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, sure, they're, they're remakes, but they're also kind of spin-off-y, very you know, casual remakes, and they are, oh, no need to worry. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, get our re- we'll get our mainline Pokemon soon. In another year, maybe a little less, I think. No, about Wait, a year. We'll... It's like a year after uh, Let's Go, I think. Get our get our Switch Pokemon on. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but what I really want after the next mainline game is, of course, uh, Pokemon Super Diamond and Mega Pearl. <laughs> I don't know what they would call it. I have, like, uh, they already did the Omega, Alpha Omega thing, so you can't play up that with Arceus. I have no idea then. They probably just got expected. <laughs> I will have to workshop the name. Yes. <laughs> but definitely, there will be a mega primal super duper RKS, mark my words. One can only hope. You know, yep. this works better when I don't have the mute button on. Oh, yeah. um, well, thank y'all. <laughs> thank y'all very much. Uh, we're going to take a break, let you listen to some more uh, pokey music, and we'll be right back with, uh, with our RPG backtrack sidetrack segment. Please stand by. The Pokeball's close. Welcome. This is the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack, where I talk about my PC RPG Game of the Month. Uh, if you keep up with the list I, I have on our website somewhere, you have to hunt for it a little bit, but I got a list of games that I'm playing through. In August, it was Tales of Magial, September's Icewind Dale 2, October, Curse of the Azure Bonds, November Wasteland 2, a Director's Cut, and December will be Valkyria Chronicles. Uh, but yes, August is Tales of Magial, and that's what I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, Tales of Magial was released originally in 2012. I'm not sure what the exact date was. It was it basically came out first as a, an open open source game. I eventually got it on GOG for a few bucks. You can play this game for free, um, which is a really good deal because there there is a, there is a ton 
ton to the game. It eventually became like donation supported uh, and whatever have you. And that enabled them to do a lot deeper things. Tales of Magial is basically an offshoot of Oddbond and Zogbond. Uh, which in turns are offshoots of the uh, the rogue you know the game rogue and rogue you know the early roguelike games of the 1980s. At its core, it's a dungeon crawler. You play a single character. You uh, in, in roguelike games, they're char- characterized by the fact that you only have one life. It's you against this massive dungeon. And uh, but you do have lots of choices in terms of races and classes, uh, items you'll be picking up in the whole nine yards. Uh, I, you know, um, there has been everyone's probably has heard the term roguelike in some way, shape, or form, and you probably have played some roguelike games. I mean, it's it's just all over the place nowadays. It's kind of a hot button um, game type now these days. They like to combine like roguelikes and Metroidvanias. Yeah, now, it seems. Yeah, like dead. Dead cells and chasm and yeah oh god exactly oh. exactly it's kind of gone off in other genres it's no longer limited to the single player turn based uh, dealio anymore uh, the um, uh, but um, big dungeons yeah so uh, you know and these games are also known for their diff their brutal difficulty uh, the idea in most roguelikes is that when you die <laughs> death is permanent. And uh, and the only thing you walk away with is the wisdom and knowledge you gain, you know, from that character's life to help you in your next quest. So there's no like things to help you with progression in this. You just got school of hard knocks, rogue. Yeah, that that I you know I'm describing the, what what we can what I would consider a pure roguelike. But then yes, later on. Other games would put in layers of progression. Uh, some of the nippy itch on uh, roguelike games definitely had that, where your character would be, be rebirthed but have higher base stats depending on how well you did, or you'd be able to take some weapons back, uh, you know, and the such. But uh, Tales of Magial is, you know, on a scale, if you have like a needle of original roguelike difficulty up to, let's say, those roguelikes that aren't so hard, and when you die, they let you carry a bunch of stuff over, so you're always progressing. Eventually, you're going to be able to beat the game, if nothing else, because you're so powerful. Uh, Tales of Magial is, is closer to the old-school ways. See, interestingly enough, Rogue Legacy is probably a lot of people's baseline now, because that that takes the spirit of it, but then you have that huge castle that you build up, and it, that kind of lets you overcome the curve a little bit, but... Sounds like this one just you're not overcoming the curve other than, you know, just trying harder next time and yeah. being more cautious. What they do is as you as you get through certain things, you will unlock additional classes because at the beginning you've only got like six or seven classes to choose from. Uh, mm-hmm. Those other classes don't seem more powerful uh, to me, per se, just eyeballing them. Uh, but, you know, it does give you more choices. So you do have a sense of progression in that you will have other ways to approach the game as you continue to rack up you know hours and achievements um in what you do aside from the fact that of course you'll learn from it but my experience uh i whipped up a a rogue he's kind of like an arcane rogue i forget exactly what he was called but uh, and went into and the early levels were you know pretty fun it's what you expect it's strictly turn-based the monsters move you move all at the same time so if you move square they move square if you don't touch the keyboard they don't move um Mm -hmm. Things are pretty much text-driven. Uh, the graphics, the graphics is just very flat 2D tile-based graphics. Um, when you when you attack and you are attacked, you're really paying attention to the text 
because that's going to give you a lot of critical information <laughs> as to whether or not you're coming out of this ahead. Um, and you got to watch your health really closely. Uh, there are uh, what's interesting about this one is uh, you know with the older games like Zogbond, your as you were going through the dungeon, you'd find a lot of items and potions and stuff that would be your clutch items to get out in a pinch. In Tales of Magial, while there are definitely item drops and armor drops to help make you stronger, it's not really the focus here in combat. The focus is really on your skills, which a lot of them are on cooldowns, and that's also different from Zogbond. Uh, you know, if you use a, a power attack, it'll take 20 turns before you can use it again. There are several skills that you can pick up just for retreating and getting out of a tight spot, and I highly recommend you take them. <laughs> Because uh, you might have a skill that teleports you back to the beginning of the dungeon or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching the trailer on Steam right now, and it looks like the, the it gets pretty thick with monsters pretty quickly. Yeah, and <laughs> and and it's easy to fall into the trap, especially with the first. So the first few four, four, three levels, three levels, four levels, I was going through really easy. And then I would wander around the world, and they've added, you know, back in the old days, you just basically had one dungeon you had to get through, but it was a mega dungeon. In Tales of Magial, there's a town, you can talk to people, you can pick up side quests, and you can go out and explore the world and find mini dungeons to level yourself up on and find everything. So it kind of has that cool open world thing to it. I picked a dungeon that was close by to the town, thinking it would be too hard, and the monsters weren't too tough. But you have to be careful about difficulty spikes. It's not unusual for you to be just traipsing through a, an open dungeon and hitting the keyboard, click, 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 real fast. And if you're not paying attention, remember, every time you move, the enemies move. And if there's an enemy right outside your line of sight who hits you with a ranged attack, if you're just going click, 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 you've already taken four rounds of damage before you realize the screen's turn red. So that was my first death. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the bosses, you know, the bosses, uh, there was a big difficulty spike with those guys, too. And with this one boss, I must have died like three or four times, and I felt like I was using all my skills and everything like that. Uh, I definitely feel like Tales of Magial is much deeper than some of the previous the ones from the 80s. I mean, you know, it's like no dusher, or like it's deeper than the games from the 80s. But there's a lot more going underneath the hood that you really need to learn, maybe read some wikis or threads or whatever they're called reddits um Mm -hmm. yeah because the game does give you the basics in the tutorial it gives you some pointers here and there uh there's also some help pages you can dive through uh but and i did a lot of that and i was still getting my butt royally uh kicked so yeah if you're looking for something that's deep that's challenging that's basically you know like dark souls but (laughs) turn-based super hard in other words and and punishing and not forgiving and by the way i was playing on the easier mode there's different settings there's a setting you can have old-fashioned zogbon mode where your one death is a permadeath i was playing on a setting that actually gave you a number of deaths before you got a game over wow yeah so that was pretty you know that that was helpful that was helpful but it was still super tough again especially with the bosses you really have to be good at kiting and using you know different strategies to take them down because They'll freeze you, they'll stick you in place, and then beat you over and over again. Next thing you know, you're dead. Uh, it sounds like there's no brute forcing in this game. Yeah, definitely. There's just pa- pain and suffering. <laughs> yeah, pain and suffering. But there's players out there who obviously do very, very good with it and advertise their accomplishments and stuff. Um, it's just one of those games. It's very numbers-driven. Uh, think Diablo on steroids. So mm-hmm. so what, I, remember, I remember playing like Diablo 3 and finding out for the first time 
that the red gems that add damage are completely subpar to the green da- uh, green gems that add critical rating. That way you swapped out critical rating you know, in for your damage gems, your actual average DPS goes up through the roof. Like, oh, wow. that's not intuitive, but someone told that to me, and it totally changed the game, and it enabled me to play uh, into higher rifts and tiers with a lot less difficulty. I feel like Tales of Magial has, like, 1,800 of those tips that I need in order just to, you know, in order to break through the bosses and get up to the higher end game and stuff like that. It's not a game for the casual player. It's definitely a game for those people who like to number crunch, do some research online, figure out the mechanics that are underneath the hood, and then figure out a way to get the most mileage out of what's there. And if you do that, you'll you'll definitely, there's no doubt you'll be successful because, again, other players do it all the time. I just wasn't one of them. So, I'm I'm glad that there are games out there for people that love to punish themselves. I I, I can say most certainly that games like that are not for me by any stretch of the imagination. But I appreciate that people there are people that devote their time to stuff like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like I like I do like tougher games. I like survival games. I like uh, I like Etrian Odyssey games, and we all know those aren't you know any joke. But mm-hmm. but I it's the level it's that difficulty combined with the level of complexity within its systems, uh, combined with a lot of trial and error needed or reading up wikis on what is really good. Like for example, one of my problems with old school Diablo was you could build a wizard and go for a fire bill just to find out that ninety percent of the characters are monsters in Act Five are fireproof. Right now your build yeah. doesn't mean squat, but the only way you'd have known that was to make it to five. Or to read a hint book or to read hints online. Uh, Tales of Magial, very much like that. If you have the hours to spend making, and that's kind of what it's made for, right? Spending lots of hours in trial and error, or you want to read through a bunch of Reddit posts to see what some of the in-game builds at work are like, then yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Whereas I feel like with Etrian Odyssey and stuff, I could go, you know, there definitely are some builds that are better than others, but I, because there are so many choices, there aren't as many choices, mm-hmm. it's tougher to make something that's truly broken there See, I, I like my difficulty kind of right down the road most of the time not not too challenging but not too easy you know just kind of just kind of give me a li- little bit of a challenge yeah you know let, let me kind of work for my prize now i i will say because i'm older and i don't have a lot of time for gaming anymore i do play a lot of stuff on the lowest dif- lowest difficulty now just because i've you know i've got a lot of games to get through to talk about on rpg cast and i don't always have time to beat my head against a wall but th- that's a lot of people our age <laughs> these days yeah. no i totally agree with you uh you know definitely if a game is too too hard i usually play games on normal and uh, you know, and 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 hopefully that works out. But if I'm losing over and over again, I, and I have to go looking up FAQs or watching Let's Plays to figure out all the time how to get past your game, uh, yeah, I'm too old. I've got a lot of other games. So, but regardless, yeah. uh, this one is is super cheap. Uh, it is it is really cool. It is different. It is deep, and or you can just download it for free. Apparently, so I, I could I could recommend it to the to the audience that it speaks to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would give it my official rating of try it, you know, on my scale. Um, play it if you are really, really super into harder, deeper games. Uh, I think you'll have fun with it. So, all right. Uh, we'll be uh, right back because we need to wrap this podcast up with our final lap.
Welcome back. This is the final lap where we read your comments, questions, all kinds of fun stuff, and we talk about what we're doing. It's the kitchen sink of the RPG Backtrack. We got one comment on our last episode. It was RPG Backtrack episode 192, Harvey's Dragons and Calvary. Oh my. Uh, And our comment here was from Platinum 3. He or she said, Glad Phil just out and said it because I was thinking H-O-M-M the whole intro. Hmm. H-O-M-M, Heroes of Might and Magic. Oh, the whole intro. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because we did, a, we did a skit at the beginning. And I think it's some, I can't remember if I had done that during the show or as an outro. But I said, that skit reminded me of Heroes of Might and Magic. So that's what he's referring to. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, that game is very much reminiscent from listening to those guys talk about it. I never played it, but I, I never played it either. It's a little too Western for mm-hmm. my taste. Uh, Platinum said, while listening to the podcast, I was watching gameplay video of the games. Pretty neat. You're correct that this is a nice looking game and quite interesting and unique. Well, there you go, Relly. You just need to watch the videos. Maybe you don't want to play them, but you can live vicariously through YouTube or Twitch. Yeah, I find that. I get sucked into watching a lot of Let's Plays, and it's like, hey, I want to play that. But then, you know, the the, the thing of time just kind of hits me, and I have to go back to my other time sinks, and, oh, I just need more hours in the day to play games. Yeah. Holy cow, 210 hours on Rainbow Skies, not being a fan of tactical RPGs. That's amazing to me, but glad you liked it, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see how well I like it at some point. As I mentioned before, I bought it. But it is on the long list of, of things to, to get around to. Um, especially since I wasn't really a big, huge fan of the first uh, Rainbow... Whatever the hell it was Rainbow called. Rainbow Moon. Rainbow Moon. Rainbow Moon. Yeah. It felt a little see, too bland for me. See, I was kind of turned off by it because Chris talked about it. And he said that the AI and it was just too dumb for his tastes. And... I I don't like tactical games with, with rock dumb AI. I kind of like to feel like I'm in a little bit of danger. Not necessarily fire emblem levels of danger, but you know, just enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And it kind of felt like there wasn't. I mean, with tactical RPG, you do want to feel like there's some danger and some thinking needed to get through it. And, and yeah, that was kind of my take on it too. Kind of agree with Chris. I just kind of felt like I was just going through the paces and just leveling up with. You know, super of battles. And that tends to be one of my complaints about most JRPGs is that it's just attack, attack, heal, attack, attack, heal. Um, I need something to make it feel a little bit more dangerous and to force me to use deeper tactics to keep me engaged. See, it's interesting you say that because Octopath Traveler is a lot like that where you've really got to think about what you're doing. But then that one is so grindy that it makes up for the enhanced JRPG tactics. There you go. Did you? I know there was an article out there, or maybe it was a YouTube video that I saw, that tells you how to get those XPs a lot faster with the dancer and stuff. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I've used a lot of those techniques. It's just that for that is not the type of game that's good for if you want if you're like me and just like to have one central party without swapping people out. Hmm. Because obviously you want to see the whole story, but the other characters don't get uh, backline. EXP. So if you want to see their story, then you got to take them out, and you got to go out and beat up monsters to level them up. And that does not go quick, especially with some of the power leveling techniques. And I think that that was that game's biggest flaw. And I'm still, I've still got most of my characters sitting at like chapter two and three because of it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. That uh, and then the last comment he had was Dragon Quest Seven is equally on par with Dragon Quest Eight. Smiley face. And 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 I don't know if that's to discourage me from playing eight further since I wasn't the biggest fan of seven, or <laughs> it might be trolling you. It might because be trolling. It's <laughs> eight and seven is like night and day. Yeah, uh, I did get to play some more uh, Dragon Quest eight this week. Uh, I am now past Castle Trodane. I just picked up the harp, so I need to go take that to somebody so I can right in my ship again so i'm like what maybe 15 20 hours in and mm-hmm. yeah still enjoying it had a boss fight with uh with uh with the mole creature that was holding onto the harp he kicked my butt the first time until uh and then you know going boy that was kind of tough and then i realized oh wait i actually do have a buff and kabuff spell maybe i should utilize those and uh that made that made that battle much more manageable so uh yeah i like the the boss fights there are pretty good difficulty balance wise so far yeah, that game had a lot going for it without feeling too grindy or feeling like it dragged on forever like Dragon Quest Seven oh, did. Oh, yeah, jeez. To, to date this episode a little bit, Dragon Quest Eleven comes out next week, and it looks like it's going back to what Eight tried to do with the, you know, and instead of having characters and vignettes and stuff like that, of having a more centralized story. And I cannot wait for Dragon Quest Eleven because of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So, uh, totally awesome. Thank you so much uh, for your comments. Uh, that that you, you guys can also leave your comments. Number of ways to do that, of course. You can leave uh, right there on the episode where it's posted at RP Gamer, um, like uh, Platinum did. Just a bit of a. A disclaimer, it doesn't really email me or message me when you guys leave a comment, so I'm really bad about responding to those. If you're looking for, uh, I mean, I will read them before we do the show. Uh, I always check them before I do the next show, so your comment will get read. But if you're looking for an instant reply, you have questions or anything like that, the best way to reach out to me is at Twitter. I'm at JCServant. Mr. Miki's at Jumason, S-Y-N. And uh, you know we have uh, Miss uh, Miss Miss Kyan. Aren't you at Red Rock or something? Yes, Red Rock nine six three. I I post lots of pictures of my cats. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anywho, um, let's go ahead and do our roundtable and talk about what you're playing, what's exciting you, and all that stuff. So I'll start with with Miss 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 Relly. Yes, I I am back on the Wow Train. For the time. Being. Oh my god, you've been sucked back in. Say it isn't so. Uh, you, you say that I've I've actually never left. The, the only time there was two times I canceled my sub. One was when that huge drought happened between Miss and Draenor, um, where there just wasn't much going on, and then I ended up lo- losing my job like a month into the unsub and sub for another three months just so that I'd have s- something to do. Because, you know, there's only so much housework you, you can do while you're in between jobs. So I, I use that as an opportunity to level battle pets. And then when they said that they weren't going to do flying anymore, or flying mounts anymore, I unsubbed in protest. And that only lasted about a month because they realized that they messed up. And it's like, no, no, we're not taking flying mounts out of the game. You'll, you'll be able to fly. Don't worry. Don't worry. But no, um, Battle for Azeroth came out a couple of weeks ago. I've been 
working, or I got my character to level 120 within the week. Um, my husband got there, like, within two days because he took the week off of work, and that's all he did. And he ta taunted me throughout the entire time because I still had to work because I didn't have as much vacation time. And right now, I've been just running around kind of getting gear and gathering, um, gathering mats to level up my engineering. And I'm hoping I'll be in the LFR, the first looking for raid dungeon, and when it opens in a couple of weeks, I'm hoping that I'll be geared enough to get into that. Um, Story-wise, I'm not going to lie, the expansion hasn't been as good as the expansion before it, because they kind of, you know, the, the expansion before it, uh, we again... They, they pull, okay, they, it's, alright, let me interrupt you here, but I'm going to interrupt you here. Just because I want to, I want to speak from a point of ignorance and see okay. if you, the experienced person, agree with my point of ignorance. From some video twitches and whatever that I watched of this, it seems to me they pull what I call the Mist of Pandaria, which was was it Mist of Pandaria? I think it was. I think it was Mist of Pandaria. So in Mist of Pandaria, I really got into that expansion for like the first dozen hours because it was like. The Horde and the Alliance are fighting for control of this island with mystical pandas because magical reasons and powers and all this stuff. And this is epic. And you're the commander. I'm the Horde and I'm a big guy and I'm helping to lead the charge on the beach. And I'm, it's like D-Day. And I'm running up there and it's exciting. My blood's pumping and I'm, I'm, this, I'm the head of this effort. And the, the leaders of the Horde, like whoever it was at the time, it wasn't Sylvanas, but whoever it was, they were like, man, you, 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 know, you keep it up. You're kicking butt. You're my right hand. And I'm feeling important, which I should be because I was a level 90 undead badass, right? So mm -hmm. I should feel that way. And then we, we took over the beach and we converted like one of the towns for the Horde because it's instance and stuff. And that was really cool. And mm -hmm. then... And uh, and then he's like, okay, well, the problem is we spent a lot of our forces here and stuff. I'm going to need to go back and get reinforcements. While I'm gone, mighty undead commander, I need you to get to know the people of the land. And I'm like, what? And sure enough, that turned into a whole bunch of panda fetch quest, farming quest, like all this boring stuff that took me out of the excitement. And in watching the videos of this one, they were like, here's this big story set up in the cutscene. Now we're going to have you go to these other lands and do a bunch of boring quests. Is that what happened here? Uh, kind of, sort of. Okay. Um, Tell me. See, the Horde and the Alliance this time around have two completely different areas uh, where, where they're leveling. So it's like they kind of took that mist thing and ran with it in a way like they sh like you're saying that you wanted to have. So the Horde has the troll the uh, Zuldazar. Hang on. What's the name of this place? I forgot. Um, the, the Horde has a continent called Zandalar that has Zandalar trolls. And the Alliance has Kulturas, which is where Jaina Proudmore's from. And, like, leveling 110 through 120, you're going through your respective area. And you have missions to go to the other area and basically, like, have bases and stuff like that. And at some point later on, there's going to be, like, war fronts where you're, like, actually fighting with the other factions and stuff like that. It's PvP stuff. I, I'm i not really sure about how all that works because I don't do PvP at all. But, yeah, for this particular expansion, they're really cranking up the Horde versus Alliance stuff again and actually kind of sticking with it, which... It's kind, of, it's kind of nice if you're an old-school fan, but my issue is that, you know, we just 
in in the last expansion, we teamed up to beat the Burning Crusade, and it kind of annoys me that we teamed up to beat the Burning Crusade, and then we're right back to, you know, fighting with each other. But Sylvanas burned a tree! Yeah. Yeah, it's our favorite tree! Yeah, um, I, I wasn't very well. I wasn't very happy about that, but mostly because it felt like that we are, we just did this two expansions ago with Garage Hellscreen. Yeah, yeah, it does feel a lot like deja vu. I mean, I'm sure they the Blizzard will pull something out of their ass and have this somehow make sense, especially for Horde players. Because as a you know, as a main Horde, I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't the Horde. Wait, why did they let her still be leader if she just you know has an emotional moment and decides to? burn down this alliance tree, kill kill a bunch of non-combatants uh, that way. That's not honorable. A bunch of civilians. Yeah, so it's just civilians. That, that that's see, that's not the horde. See what in, what's interesting to me is that they had that Teldrassil cinematic, and it felt really forced and really poorly written. And then a week later, they had the the Battle for Lordaeron cinematic, where Sylvanas was basically being a supervillain and being clever and strategic, and you know, really taunting and flaunting it in the Alliance face. And it's like, okay, where was this supervillain Sylvanas a week ago when she just burned the tree because a night elf called her name, you know? And I don't know, it's just, the writing has been very inconsistent thus far. And I'll I'll say it right now. Um, I, you know, I play both sides because I like seeing both sides of the story, and I already like the Alliance side a lot better than the Horde side because it feels like there's a lot more stakes and a lot better story going on with that. You know, have, having, you know, the first thing you do when you get back to Kill Terrace is uh, Jada Proudmore gets thrown in jail by her mother for, you know, essentially betraying Culture S. And it's like, okay, this is a very interesting and compelling story versus the Horde side, which really is just Black Panther, but with trolls. Even right down to, you know, all of the trolls say Zandalar forever. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And it it really feels like that they wrote this excellent story for the Alliance side, and it was like, well, crap, we have to have a Horde story, too. Oh, screw it, trolls. You guys get trolls. Well, you know, that's what the Horde needs is more trolls. And a lot more yeah. Jamaican me crazy talk. Yeah, but and to be fair, you know, the um, Warlords of Draenor was a very horde heavy expansion because you're dealing with, uh, excuse me, Duratan and Thrall's family and orcs and stuff like that. So who knows? Maybe they needed to kind of get uh, Jaina's stuff sorted out finally. So, hmm. yeah, that's that's what I've been playing, though. Um, I'm probably going to dial back the uh, Warcraft stuff heavily when Dragon Quest comes out, because Dragon Quest is my bay. Well, I'm, lo- I'm totally looking forward to your very unofficial RP Gamer score of the World of Warcraft expansion. Uh, I, I'm kind of meh on it right now. I, w- I want to see where they go with the story. I mean, th- thus far, I'm not loathing it like I loathe the Warlords of Draenor. Um, fun fun fact, we're not allowed to talk about Warlords of Draenor and the Ryan House because it turns into just a complete gripe fest, and we just go over the same points over and over again, and my husband will say, Kel, you're Draenoring again. I'm like, oh, sorry. 
because my husband and I hated that expansion so much. But th- thus far, I'm I'm very mad on this expansion because it certainly seems like a step back from um, what they did in Legion and the, the storytelling that they had in Legion. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, any last minute things before we wrap up? Um, not really. I finished Alliance Alive this week. Um, I'm sure Mike will be happy about that. And I, I cannot wait for Dragon Quest. Cool, cool. Alrighty. I believe... So next? Yeah, I believe that would be, uh, let's do Miss, uh, boy. Uh, Ramos. Ramen Noodles. Go. Yes. Oh, I'm Ramen Noodles again. Yeah, you're on the needles again. Go. Uh, okay, so what's been going on the site, I guess? Um, or, yeah, what's been going on the site? What you playing? What makes you happy okay. to talk about? All right, well, uh, since, I mean, I'm forum admin, and since the forums are becoming elite, um, <laughs> essentially I think my job here is now occasionally contributing to podcasts and uh, features. <laughs> uh, and uh, let me think here. And, I mean, otherwise, I guess uh, I recently finished uh, Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology, and Pretty much one hundred. I one hundred percented it. I got all all of the all of the notes, not just the ones to get to the ending. And I really did enjoy that game. That was your JRPG July, wasn't it? To finish it, the idea was to finish it up and then go on to Octopath Traveler. But I, I'm such a slow gamer nowadays that I ended up just. I think I finished it with in in July. I I got like the like the quote unquote regular ending where you know you know where. Uh, he seems, you know, where Stock seems to sacrifice himself, and then the twins go like, "Oh, but you haven't seen the real ending, so go back, and you don't even get credits." Heck, <laughs> in this version, you don't even see the credits until after you get the quote-unquote true ending from the original DS version, and then after you finish the, um, you know, the uh, third timeline possible history, and then beat the true final boss, then you finally see the credits. So you're, yeah. So if you think you're done with that, you're not really done. Uh, just beating the apparent final boss. But it, yeah, I enjoyed my time with that. And now, again, instead of Octopath Traveler, I remembered that uh, last, either beginning of the year, or maybe it was last year, I can't quite remember, uh, Sam uh, Sam Marcello uh, had uh, put up a feature for everyone, at least, uh, every, at least everyone in RKP Gamer that contributed to that post uh, to like you know write about a game that they're going to t- tackle in their backlog for the coming year. I wrote about Shin Megami Tensei 4. Uh, and I still had yet to even touch that game because for some reason I spent a ridiculous amount of time on Pokemon Ultra Sun. Actually, not for some reason. That's because of Pokemon. But anyway, so now I'm finally tackling that game. I recently beat the Minotaur and I'm just kind of walking around the uh, Naraku because I want to try to fuse more demons because that's what I love doing in this game, getting more demons, fusing more demons. I'm a collector if you haven't noticed. You just went from cute fuzzy animals to demons and gods. and Yes. And fairies and and uh, and yokai and angels and whatever else. And of course, the the funny thing here being that uh, Shin Megami Tensei is the ancient progenitor to the whole monster catching thing. Uh, Megami Tensei, anyway, the original Digital Devil story. Megami Tensei were. Hey, there's nothing like rolling to the battle, final battle with uh, Loki and Satan and Anekomata. <laughs> yeah, or in my case, it's Huang Long Amaterasu. Uh, uh, Drat Hecate and Hecate. Just those are my like the, those are my like three favorite demons. Are they going to get outmoded once you level up a whole bunch more and can get even higher level? Well, those are like the strongest, usually the strongest demons of their race. Uh, but the ones I'm training up, like, yeah, it's like I'm constantly fusing them, so I'm tempted like to keep my angel and try to evolve it to every form. But dang, doesn't need a lot of EXP for that. 
Yeah, those uh, games need a lot of money and a lot of grinding. Yeah, and it's not giving out a lot, and I'm super tempted to just get the DLC for that. That's what I did. Uh, look into that, but yeah, otherwise I'm still getting slowly ever closer to beating um, to beating Grant Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. I'm on the I'm on the in between like the intermission between the second to last chapter and the last chapter. I'm hoping to have that beaten before October when um, the World Ends with You final remix comes out. Here's having my fingers crossed, and um, yeah, that's all that's going on. Okay. Well, how about how about you, Miss McGurr? It's been a lot since we had you on. What's new with you? Well, not much. Well, I moved and I had to cancel my subscriptions to Final Fantasy XI and fourteen, which makes me super sad. But, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do for monies. Um, but, you know, I'm just gearing up for PAX this weekend. So trying to catch up on a lot of stuff like that. Um, I have a ton of emails that I have to go through and get you know, prepared for whatever pause has me signed up for. Um, I've been playing a lot of Pogo, Pokemon Go. Um, now that I moved, I have a couple of Pokestops that are pretty much accessible from my bed. So I can just log in and get some Pokemon, do my spins. From the comfort of my very own home. Have you caught them all yet? I haven't caught them all yet. There's a bunch of new ones that I haven't. Oh, I haven't caught all of them yet, though. So, as someone who lives out in the middle of nowhere, I'm super jealous. <laughs> well, I live in Seattle, so oh yeah, yeah. So that's major. Like I still have to go to like a couple of blocks away to the, to the nearest Poké Stop. Although it's Long Island, so it's not too hard to find at least a couple within like a like at least two within a block. <laughs> See, even though I live in the biggest city in Kansas, usually Pokestops are still like a block, a block in between each one. Yeah, there's. I do a lot of because I ride the bus to work, so I play it on the bus. So I just hit things on just like on the way down there. <laughs> there's a bunch like by my work and stuff because Seattle. So that's about it. I'm hoping to. Hopefully, get settled enough where I can start over, start my sub again for eleven or fourteen or both because I haven't finished eleven. Mac finished eleven. He got all the end game armor and everything, and so wait, 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 it, wait, 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 wait. Let me understand this straight. You guilt trip the guy, <laughs> held him accountable, but you yourself have never. Grab the brass ring. I haven't. Wow. I I never said I completed eleven. He said he completed eleven. I was like, no. Wow. Did you finish all the expansions. He's like, no. And I was like, you haven't completed it yet. But he did. I'm so. jealous. You both have an MMO you can complete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Alrighty. Uh, Mr. Minky. Well, you may have noticed that I finally got up that Rainbow Skies review. And I'm still playing it, so I guess I'm glad that this series does not come out frequently, or else I would be like Kelly and Cassandra here, just constantly addicted to it for many, many extra hours. But since Rainbow Skies is all by itself and is unlikely to have a sequel for a number of years, once I'm finally done with it, because I'm still going through new areas deep into the post-game and fighting new enemies, which 
one of these new enemies has one of the freakiest death screams I've ever heard. It sounds like somebody threw a cat into uh, a bathtub that's electrified. It's just disturbing. No! Uh, yeah, what have I spent? Something like 300 hours on this game. And I'm not done with it yet. Oh my gosh. So, did you like Rainbow Moon at all? I never played it. Okay. Maybe you should try it. Try it you should try it, Mike. I'll probably spend another three. No, no, it's probably best. I, I think Alex played that for our for our review once upon a time, and he does not get nearly as much into the collecting and combat minutia as I do. So his review comes from a very different place than mine did. And since that's the only thing I've been playing lately. I can tell you a whole lot about Rainbow Skies, but it's still pretty new, so I don't know if I should. Well, sell, sell me on it, because I skipped over Rainbow Moon, because um, Chris Privateer said that the AI in Rainbow Moon wasn't very good. Well, let's see. If you're looking for intelligent enemies, you're not necessarily going to get them. You can... But if you want enemies that the first time you encounter them, they are extremely likely to womp you. But this is not the – even if you get womped, you'll get thrown back onto the world map, one hit point for your leader. But you don't lose anything. There's no game overs. Just go heal yourself. And the way you get st- – there are a lot of ways you get stronger here. One of them is the instant you find a new enemy, it will typically have a new material that you can just put into your equipment and make it stronger that way. And after you fight new enemies for a little while, you have plenty of new materials that will allow you to be powerful enough to stomp them. And if you need a story, this is not the game for you, because while it's kind of amusing and the narrative freaking involves time travel at some point, but I never cared that much. It's It's just one of the clotheslines that you hang things on. The characters all have, here's our lead. He really likes his swords, and he's buff, and he thinks people who don't like swords are idiots. That's most of his character right there. Here's his pal. His pal likes to eat a lot and doesn't like that his friend is obsessed with swords. And here's Ashley, the lady. She managed to bind you together so that you can't get away, and she's an aspiring mage. And really, these are not deep characterizations. But the dialogue is well-written, and it's entertaining. And I just got into the fact you wander around. There are hidden things all over the place that you have to keep a close eye out for. Watching for it on the screen isn't necessarily the best idea because the icon that shows you that a hidden thing is there pops up very specifically. Ah, there it is. It's right around here. Yes, found it. Uh, There are tons of things to do in here. I actually got into the fishing for a while. (laughs) There's a gambling game, of course. You get to explore the whole freaking world. There are tons of optional areas. There are optional bosses all over the place. There are monster hunts. And no, they don't have much to do with monster hunters. So Phil can just uh, put his ear back down for a moment. But, and of course, I just keep getting into how much there is to do, how comprehensive it feels like I want to be with the game. And... It's weird that it holds off quite a bit of content until after you've technically completed it because then, oh, here, the story is actually resuming in this and you have to go look at all these places that you couldn't get into during the rest of the game. But that just gives me even more incentive to keep going with it. And there are still dungeons that I haven't gotten into yet. And 
this is not an, an episode on Rainbow Skies in particular, so I can't just start describing all of the mechanics and the many things that I've learned after playing it for several hundred hours, because that would probably be boring to everybody who hasn't played it. But I'm having a blast. I'm still having a blast. And, oh yeah, the combat is really fun. It, which is kind of important considering how much of it I've been doing. So, oh yeah, and the visuals, you know, I, I read the GameSpot review just because I was idly curious. And it's true, the visuals at a glance aren't particularly captivating, but there's a lot of charm and personality to them. And the enemies may not look all that intimidating, but they definitely have a unique look. And I appreciate how much time was put into this by SideQuest Studios to make it stand out. And it won't stand out at a glance, but the more you spend time with this thing, the more you appreciate the details and effort that was put into it. So there, that's... That's my short, relatively short monologue on Rainbow Skies, because after 300 hours, I could probably talk about it for a very, very long time. And you've got me really curious. Got me to buy it. I just need to find 200 hours now. <laughs> I'm sure I got them lying around somewhere. You do, Phil. All you have to do is go back to the past and stop yourself from almost completing Strange Journey. Oh my gosh. Strange Journey. It's the game that beats you. Anything else, Mr. Miki? Uh, well, I finally saw Mission Impossible Fallout. It's a fun action movie that's not as stupid as a whole lot of action movies are this time of year, which is more than I can say for many things. I'm sure if I had seen The Meg, then I would be saying, wow, that was a really stupid giant shark movie. Uh, August is not a good month phase. No, it is not. It is better than January, but that's not saying much. Hey, the last Sharknado movie came out in August. Great. <laughs> ah, yes. And I have seen the first two Sharknados. Yes, that that wonderful moment in the first Sharknado when there's blood all through the bottom floor of the house because it got flooded and a shark died in there. And one of our leads says, looks like it's that time of the month. Wow, uh, that was uh, so classy. Uh, uh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's what that's the movie that they thought they were being serious, but then it was so awful that they embraced it later. Did Tara Reed ever embrace it? Because I don't think she got the memo. No, she just she still thinks it's a serious movie. It's Tara Reed. Man, anyway, the I... fact that the fact that we have become a society in which we have six Sharknado movies <laughs> says something. I don't know what, but it says something. <laughs> See, I think that we as a society need to get Mike and the bots back and just have them riff all of those movies. Though they may be on riff tracks. They did the first two it. on riff tracks. Oh, okay, I keep yeah. forgetting that riff tracks is a thing. Well, and have they you seen? Like they were live shows, which made it more and, engaging. Have you seen the new MST3K on Netflix? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it, and it, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually did a movie with the Mads a couple of weeks ago, where I met Trace Ballou and TV's Frank, and they uh, signed an eight by ten for me. Nice, sweet. Oh, nice. Of the lead guy. He, uh, he, yeah. He was at uh, Solo Comic Con, and I talked to him, and he I got a picture of him trying to save me from a shark. It's cool. While I was wearing my white mage outfit, it was epic. What a, what a rotten shark to go after a white mage like that. I know. Hey, always go for the healer. <laughs> <laughs> I had too much hate from healing, okay? <laughs> well, you don't usually think of a shark as intelligent enough to go for the first. Well, you know, 
Monsters aren't that intelligent anymore. I was going to say, in a, in a Fire Emblem game, they'll go straight for the healer. I don't remember any sharks in Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> AI in general. Yes. But when we, when we get a Fire Emblem game where you fight at sea, and your opponents, instead of being... Instead of having lances on top of horses, are in fact on top of sharks that they're riding around on the waves. Then we can say that we have smart sharks in a game. Until then, but do they have laser beams attached to their heads? At this point, it looks like Doctor Evil's great plan has not come to fruition, <laughs> but it might. You never know. Sixteen years since an Austin Powers movie, and Mike Myers hasn't been doing much in all the time. It's probably about time to reboot it. Yeah, reboot Austin Powers. Because we're getting a Charlie's Angels reboot. Why not Austin Powers? Oh, yeah. Uh, if if they reboot Austin Powers now, we'll just get Russell Brand as Austin Powers. And oh, I don't think yeah, I want I that movie. That guy. I don't want that guy. By no. warping the audio signatures, so I'd better stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, no big surprise over here. I've been playing... Uh, the new Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate that's out on the 3DS. Um, it just came, it just dropped yesterday, and I was able to transfer my Monster Hunter Generations character over. Uh, that was a little confusing at first because it showed my character with zero playtime. I was like, what? Is it trying to like pull off the memory card instead of the cartridge or vice versa? And uh, after, like, spending 15 minutes trying to figure it out, I just went ahead and did the transfer. When it showed up on my Switch, it was the character with all of the, all of the you know, stuff there. So, yay. Um, but that's pretty much it. Mike and I uh, did a hunt podcast uh, a couple of days ago. So if you're curious about the new Monster Hunter on the Switch, maybe you played Monster Hunter World and you don't know what to expect, uh, I suggest that you go and you check that out, and we go into all the juicy details. Um, we talked about it at length. Well, and then we did QA quest. We talked about some more. So lots of Monster Hunter talk, and we're going to be doing Mike. You'll you'll see some some streaming from us. Mike likes to do a lot of streaming of Monster Hunter stuff. So uh, yay, Monster Hunter! Woo! Um, yay! Woo! Yay! And uh, yeah, I'll be playing some uh, Icewind Dale two next. So there we go. Uh, but other than that, uh, and if you've been watching the streams, you've already kind of got a preview of my feelings on Icewind Dale too. Uh, <laughs> we do. That's the other thing. I, I do want to make a plug for we. We've been pretty good now for the last month. We've been doing our stream. Uh, I saw on Sunday nights starting at eight p.m. Um, Eastern time, five uh, p.m. Pacific. I play old computer RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Uh, that you're going to hear about me eventually talk on the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack. And I uh, I do that for about three hours. And at the same time, people get on Discord with me and we just talk. So if you're watching the stream, you can hear us all talking, you know, through Discord. Uh, and all works pretty good. Uh, so you can come in, watch the Twitch feed and just listen. Or you can put Twitch on mute and join us on Discord and join the conversation there while watching me gameplay. Or you can just come on Discord and forget about watching me play. It's, it's all up to you. It's pretty flexible. I give away a game every night as well as part of that. So... Makes it fun and exciting. And then uh, after my three hours is up, then Mike said he's going to give, uh, if at all possible, he'll join me with his Switch and we'll do some Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate Hunting. So there we go. Uh, but yeah, go home and check it us out. You can find out all the information uh, at rpgamer.com forward slash discord um, or twitch.com forward slash rpgamers where you can catch the stream. 
Uh, so those are pretty easy URLs to remember. And if you forget them, just shoot me off a, a tweet on Twitter at JC Servant, and I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Uh, but uh, I think that's it for the night. It's been a pretty long podcast. I think we've done um, uh, Pokemon Proud uh, and the such. So uh, I'll just remind you all that, that, whoa, the bird is upset in the back. He doesn't want the podcast to end. I will, you know, that's the beauty about these microphones. The the bird is upset because we didn't remind everybody that Mac actually never played a main series Pokemon game. Yeah, should have told them that uh, maybe he's upset because we didn't talk about bird type Pokemon. I'm sure that's a thing, right? Bird type. Yeah, we barely mentioned, we only mentioned Evel Talon. Yeah, yeah. The giant bird of destruction. Death and destruction. Pidgeotto. Oh yeah, Pidgeotto. There we go. Hey, I I brought up Braviary and yeah, and uh, and Talonflame. Oh no! See, now we started a whole the conversation. Okay, no, no, no. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll remind you all that uh, that RPG Backtrack is a production of of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. We have a ton of content for you to read there. We have a ton of podcasts as well, such as the RPG Cast. Q&A quest, the active topical banter show, and of course the hunt stories for Monster Hunter. So there's lots of content on on the site for you to check out, plus lots of video content on our Twitch channel, twitch.com forward slash rpgamer. You can hit us up at Twitter at rpgamer on facebook.com forward slash rpgamer as well. Just so many different ways to get a hold of us. Um, But thank you so much for listening. Mr. Minky, would you please put us to bed? I will do the best that I can, assuming, of course, the Discord decides I am worthy of having an uninterrupted audio signal come out and not garbling me through the miracle of poor technology or poor technology or great technology that is implemented poorly in my case or technology that needs to be implemented greatly and has not been implemented greatly because of my technological or machine complex. Whatever. Good night. Mikachu, I choose you.
Soon have quite a batch. Cast off in the 